podcast this week, we're a bunch of ruddy quantum maniacs as we interview first Lang the Conquerable, Scott Lang himself, aka Paul Rudd, and then Kang the Conqueror, aka Jonathan Majors, the stars of the new film Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. But that's not all, because Jenny Slate, no, she's bang on time, as the star and co-writer of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, and we talk to her too. With Shoes On? Without Shoes On? It's entirely up to you. In an infinite multiverse, anything is possible. All that, plus usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that knows just exactly who could replace Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister of Scotland. This is democracy! And then he kicks people down a well. Jerry Butler, you know it makes sense. I'd vote for him, and I'm not even Scottish. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Emperor Podcast. This week, we're back in the studio, and I'm joined once again by my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara is here. Hello. Hello, Helen O'Hara. How are you? I am good. I do have a problem with one of the things you said in the intro. Most people have a problem with most things I say at most times. Yeah. What what do you have a problem with? I feel like we should call him Kang a Conqueror. There are too many of them for the definite article to really apply. Um, Kang the Conqueror. That's something we can get into uh, at a later date, uh, I'm guessing. But um, no, in the comics, I'm talking about the. Comics. Yes, I know, I know, but also, but this is look, he's the definite article. I mean, is he? He's, or are he's they? the conqueror. He's the conqueror. He's he's the conqueror. conqueror. There have definitely been more conquerors than just Kang. Yeah, like what about Alexander Attila? wants his title yeah. back. When Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. When I saw James Dyer, I wept, because I realised once again, the great big fucking nerd had infiltrated the Empire podcast. Hello, James Dyer. Hello, Christopher Hewitt. How are you? I am James the Twat with shoes on. (laughs) (laughs) You read my introductions. Damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. And welcome back to the podcast for the first time in forever for the first time in forever I appreciate that <laughs> it's please, the, please don't do that it's the, the the dean of disneyversity it is ben travis everyone's favorite serial killer how are you i'm good i've come out of hibernation because i felt vibes in the air that grogu was coming back that we are approaching a fresh grogu cycle i've come out of hibernation i am back in business you're back 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 where have you been ben where have you been I've been around. I've been around. I've been on some spoiler specials and things. It's been a long time since I've done a regular pod, though. It's nice to be back. Hello. It's good to be in with the peeps, uh, especially after having to bounce from the live show a little bit early the other day. But that was that's right. Yeah. Yeah. time. Yep. <laughs> it was a Thursday night. You know, got to be up bright and early Friday morning. Remember, so. we went backstage and there was Ben tucked up in a little box, <laughs> fast asleep in we my drew- floating crib. <laughs> yeah, we drew a blanket over him, gave him a macaroon in case he was hungry in the middle of the night, and and, and just left him there. <laughs> yeah, macaroon and a frog. I would love that. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting one this week's podcast because um, we have Paul Rudd on as a guest, but I haven't actually done the interview yet. So the interview is going to happen during this podcast recording. He's he's not going to come in here. I've got to go to where he is. Luckily, that's just around the corner. Mm. But I'm going to get a phone call or a text from Disney telling me that he's ready. And then I've got to run at that point. So we're going to get straight into it. Okay. Straight into it with the listener question, which I have lost. Well, this is going well. <laughs> it's going really well. <laughs> However, I remembered it. Okay. I just don't, if you if you can identify, if you listen to this week's episode and you identify yourself as the person who sent me this question, then please identify yourself. Please come forward. Uh, someone sent me a question about Titanic. 
Okay. All right, because Titanic got re-released last week. We forgot to mention it on the podcast, but Passengers it Amongst the Waves. Passengers Amongst the Waves. No. Uh, Titanic, which of course, as we all know, is the third highest grossing movie of all time. Although by the time you listen to this podcast, possibly by the time we finish recording this yeah. podcast, it will be the fourth highest grossing film of all time because Avatar The Way of Water is sneaking up in it. James Cameron overtaking James Cameron. The Spider-Man meme. Yeah. <laughs> but he'll never overtake James Cameron. So. He'll never <laughs> overtake, or indeed, Joe and Anthony Russo. True. Take that, James Cameron, if that is indeed your real name. Uh, anyway, Titanic was re-released last week, and someone sent in a question saying, which other release from 1998 would we like to see re-released on the big screen? So uh, quickly, to boxofficemojo.com. <laughs> was it a 1998 film? No, okay. no it wasn't. It I was, was 1997. But I think it might have been released here in the UK in, okay, in, in January 1998. But it was okay. definitely released in 1997 because I think it came out the same week or maybe the week before as Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. So are we looking at 1998? Yes, we are. Yes, we, we okay. will go with the question. Uh, I, want you, I want you each to pick at least one release from 1998 that you would like to see released on the big screen. And I want you to tell me why. And I want it to be pithy and I want it to be funny. Oh, dear. That could be I don't know about funny. <laughs> that could be a problem. But The Truman Show, surely, is the correct answer. The Truman Show is a fantastic film that I feel like people have maybe forgotten about a little bit, which remains, if anything, more relevant to our times than it ever was before. And that, you know, that shot of him on the stairs with the sky deserves to be seen on the big screen at least once in your life. That's a good choice. It wasn't funny, but, you know, I did my best. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But it, that's fine. That is fine. Yeah, I love that film. Great film. I do love that film. The I like correct answer. Film. Is it the correct answer? No, no. Oh. No, no. The correct answer to what film you would like to see on the big screen from 1998 <laughs> is, of course, Blade. Blazer. <laughs> Blazer. Uh, yes, Blade, of course. 1998 Blade. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. Mm. And even if you know, Blade, Ooh, is, indeed, <laughs> and if Blade is showing at a cinema at the top of that hill, then it makes absolute perfect sense. Yes, yes, that is... Hey, I think I think I mean, Helen a good was a good answer. No, his is a good answer. Too. Peter like, I'm Weir, not argue with Jim Blade. Carrey, career best performance, all that good stuff. Mm. An amazing, amazing answer. But does it have a bit where Wesley Snipes beats a living shit out of a bunch of interchangeable stuntmen? No, no, that's true. It doesn't. That doesn't, it doesn't. It does not. It doesn't. I mean, it it was a it wasn't a bad year for film. I'm like I'm looking at this list. It was a good year. Out of Sight was that year. That's a very oh, sexy film. That's a very sexy film. Um, the Wedding Singer, which is not a sexy. Also a sexy film. <laughs> the Faculty, which at the time I find mm. very sexy. That was a I very was sexy very film. I watched that film quite a lot. Um, Big Lebowski, which some people find sexy. If you find that film sexy, I don't know. I there might be something. Julianne wrong with Moore, you. maybe. I, As listen, a Valkyrie. I find the concept of the Big Lebowski sexy. Mm. Uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing film. It, it has a scene where John Goodman beats the shit out of a car while spelling, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> so that's true. Ergo, again, I think that's better than the Truman Show. It has one of the greatest title sequences of all time as well. It so does. if you find that kind of thing exciting in that way, then that would be... Um, a, a, a sexual experience in the back on the big screen. <laughs> I don't think that was a question. I don't, we've somehow got <laughs> derailed. We've gone into yeah. sexiness. It's not which now. film gave you a boner or, or a lady boner, ah, if well, you will. Well, if we're talking about that, it's definitely Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> Armageddon my rocks off, am I right? I don't want to miss a thing. Oh, I want to shake the hand of the man the daughter of the man who knew the guy who was the bravest person who I ever met. <laughs> who was the spark that lit yeah, the flame, the, 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 the first, first order to the, the ground. ground. Yes, oh, exactly. Somehow, William Fickner returned. 
We have yet to mention George Miller's true masterpiece, Babe, Pig in the City. No. Put that back on the big screen. I'm back again. Mulan was 1998. We could all go and sing. Uh, uh, let's get down to. He's business. never normally not on Disney versus oh, no. Duty, is he? He's just look. The the Mulan is fine, but it's no Star Trek Insurrection. I think we can all agree. <laughs> That's true. We can all agree on that. That was the year of ants versus a bug's ants. life. Was. I was an ants was. girly. Ants. <laughs> right. Ants. What's happening? Ants. I don't understand what's ants. happening. Ants. Ants. Can I just say, Genuinely I'm really lost. disappointed that they did not do a version of that for Quantumania with Jonathan Majors, where they're just going, Kang! 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 They should have done amazing. it. Yeah. Did you not I, see the I, promo for Ant-Man <laughs> that is Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas just stood in front of a bl- fairly blank background, just tapping their thighs and going, Ants! And then, ants. And then it intercuts lots of pictures, of, pictures ants. of ants. I, and then they just go, Ant-Man! And did not see that. That is like a 15 second trailer on its own. I forgot to mention incredible. that to Paul Rudd. I forgot to, because that, that's like the pinnacle. Like he mm. should have just retired at that, at that he point. He should have got an Oscar for it. He should have got an Oscar mm. for it. Yeah. Was that released in 1998? Because I think if it was, <laughs> then we would have an answer to um, question. My question is actually, uh, was Saving Private Ryan that year? Because I see that yes, Thin Red yes, Line is in 98. It was. Release. It was. Those two as well for me were just like astonishing. I went to a just... midnight screening of the Thin Red Line. I'm not going to lie. You I didn't asleep. make it to the end. <laughs> I saw that film twice in cinemas and I absolutely loved it. It's a great oh, film. Incredible film. Quite a lot of characters didn't make it to the end either. Well, <laughs> Quite a lot of notice. characters didn't make it to the start. Woody, Woody Harrelson has his ass blown off. I mean, we've all been there. Um... <laughs> that sounded wrong. That Chris, sounded very wrong. 1998, what colour was the boathouse, Chris? What colour is the boathouse in Hereford? What Connor's boathouse? That's the worst Robert De Niro impression. Really what Connor's boathouse in Hereford? <laughs> what Connor's boathouse in Hereford? Where's he from? God knows where he's from. <laughs> and Sharpie goes, Sharpie, Sharpie, Sharpie. <laughs> Ronin. What a film. Ronin, a, Ronin, Ronin, Ronin. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that in Paris uh, where I was living. Oh, of course you did, Helen. I did. I of course you did. But what was hilarious is that the, when they have to stop the cars so that Sharpie can throw up, Sean, Sean Bean, as some people call him, Sharpie. he did it on my street. I was keeping track of the geography. That was the street I was living on in Paris. He threw Amazing. up on your street. He threw up on my street. Oh, too. In the movie Ronin. You can do. <laughs> also, the, the, the geography films... of that car chase is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. One of the few films in which he doesn't die. Doesn't die in that film. Sean Bean, most people do, but not him. <laughs> <laughs> he exits a film stage left, uh, pursued by Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro's just contempt, but he doesn't die. The X Files movie was that <laughs> year, <laughs> which was very exciting at the time. Watching Until you X-Files saw it. On, well, no, it's okay. It's not like the second X Files Fight the Future. That's dreadful. But uh, the first X Files movie is actually pretty decent. James <laughs> still wants to believe. I still want to believe it's true. The truth is. Out there. But these are films that you'd want to see in the big screen again. So would you want to see these films again on well, the big screen? More than I'd want to watch Mercury Rising, yes. Okay, that's... that's. that's I mean, that's. I'm not that's sure fair. that's the benchmark we're using, is no, it? That Pro- is probably fair. Not. Uh, probably. Some other good films that came out that year um, were also released. Oh, He Got Game. That's a really good that's film. Good You've got that's a good film. <laughs> Chris, the joint 14th greatest film of all time, A Simple Plan. Um, was 98 that's correct joint yes, 14, yes yeah, the that's joint true. 14th greatest mm. film of all time 
was released in 1998. How many, how many films has Sam Raimi made as I director? I think he's made 14 films, mm-hmm. Helen. That's, that's, that's interesting. That's yeah, so I wonder if that's... All of which are the joint greatest film of all it's time. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. So actually, you're, you're incorrect there, Ben, because you said the joint 14th greatest films of all time, but it's actually the 14, One of the 14 joint, joint greatest films yeah. of Damn all it. time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even, even the shit ones. <laughs> Not to be that person, but basically anything that wasn't child-appropriate for me in 1998, oh, I would like you. to see on the big screen. Child. Uh, I would like to see... U.S. Marshals. Uh, Uncalled for. Anyway, <laughs> the makes original all feel old. Japanese ring. I would love to see mm. that on the big screen. Yes. Um, I feel the shock of that ending for the first time. Um, yeah. When, when Ringo fan. crawls out the TV set and goes, peace and love, peace and love. <laughs> and then, <laughs> no more fan mail, is what he says. <laughs> it's getting tossed. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Stop sending me cursed VHS cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> oh boy. Stop sending me stuff in which scary little children crawl out of the TV. And <laughs> have we answered this question, me. do we think? Yeah, I think we have. I think we have. Halloween anyway. H2O, H20, whatever you oh, want to call it. I love that film. It was 98. A Dark City was not. It was a really yes. good year for, for Josh Hartnett horror films, yeah. actually. Wasn't it with it the was. faculty as well? Was it the only good year? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yes. <laughs> Penny Dreadful wasn't bad, but that's TV. Yeah, yeah that is, that's true. Which we all know is superb. All right. Uh, also that year, Enemy of the State, The yep. Mask of Sorrow. Oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, as good as it gets. The numbers of 1997. And okay. uh, uh, Lethal Weapon 4, that seems like a 1997 mm, four, movie as yeah. well. Or was it 1998? Eight, I think. Okay. Yeah, according to this, uh, yeah. Ooh, I liked right, Lost in Space that year. I saw it more than once in cinemas. I'm just really? going to admit it. There you go. Yeah. Really? I no. had a really fun time. No, Helen. Good. Look, Incorrect. I'm not saying it was great, but I had fun. Danger, danger. Yeah, the top ten that year domestically was Goodwill Hunting, Good. uh, which I believe was a 1997 release. Uh, Rush Hour, mm. Godzilla, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla, the original <laughs> Godzilla, uh, Deep Impact. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's unforgettable. Deep Impact. Uh, Doctor Do Little. I wish mm. he had hey. the Water Boy. There's mm. something about Mary. Saving Private Ryan, Brilliant. Armageddon, and then Titanic, which was the number one film of 1998, despite being released at the end of 1997. Yeah. Which tells you that James Cameron knows a thing about or two about igniting people at the box office. So there we go. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, and why the hell wouldn't you? Then yeah, it's getting tossed. <laughs> <laughs> send in some fan mail and we'll, we'll toss it. Um, yes, send in your questions to me on Twitter. I think our verified status is, is hanging by a thread. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Elon Musk may personally come for us in the night because we are the corrupt ones, don't you know? That's right. Uh, for daring to have a verified status. Uh, so he may be coming for us. But in the meantime, while you still can see our tweets, slide into my DMs. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter or reply to any of my tweets. Once you stop laughing, of course, or wait for a panicked shout out. And thank you to the question asker for asking that most excellent question. Should we have our first guest? Let's. Let's have Jenny Slate. Yay. Jenny Slate is most excellent. I first knew her as Mona Lisa, Sean Ralphio's sister in Parks and Recreation. Money, please. <laughs> Oh, you've heard Pilot Plus. <laughs> <laughs> that is our call to arms. <laughs> Give me money, me money, me now. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, she's great. She's fantastic. Yeah, she and is. Uh, and uh, she is Miss Nanny on the Muppet Babies, uh, which Ben Travis shamefully failed to ask her about when he 
interviewed her for Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which is a lovely, heartwarming, stop motion animation in which she voices uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. And it's really lovely and dainty and sweet, uh, as is this interview. Although I believe you got you got quite deep, Ben. Yeah, I went into this like the film is lovely and fun and sweet, as we're going to talk about in the review later on. Um, I went in like let's have a fun light chat, and we did. We did have a fun light chat, but this character means a lot to her. It comes from a very real place inside her, and so in just talking about the character and about Marcel and about this world. I wasn't quite prepared for the kind of way that this conversation was going to go, but in a good way, which possibly is why we didn't get around to talking about Muppet Babies, because once we got you, on the Marshall, Marcel I track... I one job, Phil Tippett. You had one job. <laughs> messed it up. But she was great. I had a lovely time. Yeah. Bet you did. Here it is. Jenny Slate. Enjoy. It is such a pleasure to welcome to the Empire podcast... Jenny Slate, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so excited to get to chat Marcel the show with shoes on with you, which is a mouthful of a title now that I say it out loud. I realise I haven't actually said the full title of this film to anybody yet. Marcel the Shell with shoes on. It's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, yes. But in, in terms of Marcel... Marcel is blowing up right now. Like, congratulations last week. The Oscar nominations, you guys are up for Best Animated Feature. The BAFTAs as well. Incredible stuff, richly deserved. How does it feel to be at the epicenter of all of this? It's it's one of these things that I I don't want to look back on it and be like, why were you sleeping? You know, why were you? <laughs> so I'm trying really hard to, well, you don't have to try that hard, but I, I can feel it is what I want to say. I, I think there have been other times when something incredible has happened, like that I really, really wanted to happen. A lot of it revolves around like romantic love. But then again, I think that um, performing and being able to be a working actor and being able to be someone who like has a beloved that you really want, you know, like the person that you love loves you back. Those seem really linked to me. I don't know what that is about the way my brain is wired, but either way, um, I really feel it. I really kind of feel light on my feet. Um, and that feels appropriate to me because when I, um, am performing the character of Marcel, I also feel incredibly light on my feet as if I have discovered my own sport that I'm really good at, or my own instrument that I'm able to be um, like actually <laughs> proficient at, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's lovely to hear you say that because I guess to bring the listeners in, you, you are Marcel, you are the voice of Marcel, you are the co-creator of this character. Um, yeah. And Marcel the Shell with shoes on, can't forget the shoes, um, yeah. has this just beautiful outlook on life. Um, does that come from you? I, I'm going to get in uh, in a few questions time into how you actually made the film because it's kind of mind blowing to even begin thinking about. But you've been with this character for, for 10 years across various shorts and now in this feature length incarnation. So where does Marcel come from for you as a character, as a voice, as an outlook? Well, I, you know, I, I think like the place to start is that Sometimes you're handed a character by a, a talented writer or director and you have to 
find your way to that character's emotional origins. And then you, you interpret from within that. For this, Marcel starts with a group of feelings that I was experiencing. Feeling small, but not wanting to be rejected. Feeling low status, but being interested in the set of feelings I had within that. Um, usually when you feel small and you feel low status, um, you it can also, at least for me, come with this feeling of like, I should not be speaking right now. Nobody wants to hear it. And even if I do speak, um, nobody will pay attention to me, which also then like leads me to feel kind of angry. And I think sometimes when I feel angry, I can feel kind of like calcified or fossilized in those feelings. And so I was like, I was expecting to get fired from Saturday Night Live, which I, I did end up getting fired from. And um, I was just like, I don't want to feel imprisoned in anger and doubt. If I am angry, it's because I actually think I have worth. So what can I do to show my worth? The only thing I know how to do to show my worth, like since I was very, very little, is to perform. And like, not that this was all conscious, but I think I am, I am like kind of very, very deeply connected to my unconscious escape routes. I'm someone that like will really try to thrive no matter what. And Marcel is like that too. And he says that at the beginning of the film that, He's not just trying to survive, but he's having trying to have a good life. And so anyway, during one weekend, I started talking in this little voice and I was just kind of like joking around and trying to be funny and trying to be funny was something that I actually felt I was being like slowly X'd out of while I was waiting to be fired from this, you know, prestigious job. And I just didn't want to, to assess myself in that way anymore. I, I didn't want to feel like, I guess I'm not funny. I guess I'm not, um an elite performer. But like somewhere inside of me, I'm like, I don't know what my stage is. I don't know what the vehicle it is, but I do feel like an elite performer. I've felt that way since I was a child. I'm just not sure what character to be to show that. And then I, I actually started to be Marcel in, in that moment of questioning. And Dean Fleischer Camp, who is so brilliant, who directed you know the feature film and is the co-creator of these shorts and created Marcel's character design, he interviewed me in that character. I'm lucky enough that I was one artist living with and in relationship with another artist who was like, you're going through something. Let me see what that is. Uh, being able to access how he is, how he behaves, how he sees the world. It was like I was uncovering the very center of what I think has worth and is beautiful in the way that like, I want people and I want myself to exist. Um, and I think when I started to do Marcel, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do snarky comedy. I don't want to do like impressions. I don't, I don't want, I want my comedy to have great depth, um, but to not be like a weird, dark abyss. Like, I want it to have richness. I want my comedy to feel alive. I want it to feel hospitable without it being sappy. And like when I when I understand that this is the style, I am able to generate a lot of different types of work within that kind of belief system and style. So like doing this character really 
helps me to understand my own sort of like personal artistic mandate. And so Mm. that said, Marcel is born, you know, of that time, but he continues to grow as I continue to go to grow. And I feel like, yeah, he's not a time capsule. He, the, the character of Marcel is also developing. And while he's not my age, like I'm 40, he's not 40. We don't know how old he is. He's not a child, but he's like kind of unable to have an age. We can't figure it out. And so we just stop trying, but you know, one day he will be old. So yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about the character's life, the character having life, the thoughts having life. And I want to, that brings us into how the hell you guys made this film. So to bring it uh, for the, for the listeners, this is presented as like an on the fly documentary. There is lots of handheld camera uh, in there and Marcel's delivery, Marcel's thoughts are almost stream of consciousness off the cuff. It's very on the fly. And yet the central character is stop motion. So it has to be on the one hand alive and in the moment and handheld at the same time, the animation side of things is meticulously planned, how you kind of bring all that to life. So how do you write this character? How do you perform it? Do you do like a stream of consciousness voice recording and then work the film around that? Are you physically writing a script? How how does this even begin to work? I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. So, I mean, as you said, like stop motion animation is not something that allows for um, any improvising. Like you can't improvise a stop motion performance. It is like a very, very calculated and um, painstakingly like micro, micro, micro process. So we locked the audio play first, meaning that like everything that Marcel or any other characters say was determined and um, completely decided on before the animation began. And the way that we did that is first, Dean and I wrote a really long treatment and we improvised off of that treatment. And then Dean and Nick Paley, our co-writer would kind of go and write for like months at a time. They would listen to all the audio, they would cull it down, they would organize it, they would edit it. And then they would um, write scenes that kind of needed to like be put in there to, make the plot better and they would decide on like major narrative moments too. And so they would like do a bunch of writing and then we would come back and we would record based on that writing, but there would be a lot of improvising in that. And like, you know, Dean is a great director because he obviously can keep in mind, like, you know, Jenny, I really need you to say, I really need Marcel to say like this specific line. Otherwise the scene doesn't really make sense, but he also will let me improvise for, you know, 40 minutes at a time. So we had a ton of audio um, and we did end up with a a screenplay, but that was after like three years of improvising and then writing around the improv and then improvising and then writing more into that and then improvising. And then like really Dean and Nick, like really firming up a real screenplay and then recording again. and. yeah, so it was just like a layered, layered process. But all of the all of the like actual acting comes first, and then the animation went over that. This little shell is gonna make you cry your eyes out. I was so emotionally touched by this movie. Um 
it goes to some really real places. The emotional underpinnings of it are extremely real and kind of heightened by this very open emotional outlook of Marcel himself. So what for you is is the kind of emotional power of Marcel? And was it always the plan um, beyond the, the kind of lovely, insightful stuff of the shorts to really in feature length film delve into the emotional potential of this character? I think I tend to create what I need to see. And one thing that I need to see is that um, normal people can be heroes for themselves in completely unlikely ways. Um, like I, I want to feel that, for example, I am someone who can you know, get through a divorce, get through a rejection, get through um, creative blocks and like personal doubt without having to be like, you know, as much of like a brilliant, like champion as, as like, you know, the, the heroes of our culture. Like I, I want to know that and show that somebody who just like feels small and is in love with life's little pleasures and um and wants to have real relationships and and someone who is really capable of being trounced by grief <laughs> and by heartbreak like that that person also can um survive and be successful like and I, it's funny to say that because like now I guess I am sitting here and our film has been nominated for an Oscar. So I guess I, I might seem traditionally successful, but um, I think most of us are, I mean, maybe some people are like, I am who you think I am from the outside. But like, I think most of us are identify with how we feel in the interior. Um, and I just wanted to make a movie that showed that like grief is really real and that the, the most surprising thing is that change happens within the arena of grief. That grief is like actually very rarely stasis. That grief is about how sad change can be and also how beautiful change can be. And grief is about extreme realness. And extreme realness is one of the things that we can encounter that helps us become like a lot more stronger. And um, I just don't think you're ever too young or too old to try to get involved with what that means for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, really powerful. It's really beautiful and moving. Um, what was the last film that left you an emotional wreck? Because Marcel the Shell really got me. I cried really hard at Drive My Car. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I've heard incredible things about that. The Hamaguchi film. It's, I just love it so much. Um, Come on, come on. I cried really hard and really appreciated that film. Yeah, that's a beautiful movie. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I cried my little eyes out during that movie. I mean, talking of, of everything, everywhere, because obviously you're in that as well. Astonishing <laughs> film. And what's it been like seeing that go the way that it's gone in terms of it dominating the awards conversation? Um, and and I, I guess tying it into Marcel as well. They are both A24 films. They're in the 
a very own specific way, tell these completely life-affirming stories in completely unconventional ways. What's it like to be a part of everything everywhere and, and see how that's gone down the way it has? It feels really good. It feels really, really good. I mean, just for our friend group generally, like um, Kirsten Lepore, our director of animation, is married to Daniel Kwan. So collectively, they have the household with the most Oscar nominations, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the work that they did take so many risks. And the people that they asked to do that work with them were people who also were down to take a ton of risks. I mean, I jumped onto that movie without even seeing the script. They just said like, hey, Jenny, we have a part we want you to play. Would you come? And I was like, yeah, I'll be right there. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't um, I didn't even care what it would be. I just knew that whatever they were doing would be innovative and that there just isn't there just isn't anything like what they do. So yeah, it makes me feel really good, especially in an industry that is like obsessed with algorithms and risk averse and employing like only a collection of 10 actors, you know, like it's just like the same actors in anything. I feel like it's so hard to get a job in any of the things that actually have good materials because it's just all the same people getting cast over and over again. And then you have everything everywhere, which has, you know, some actors who have been working in prestigious films forever, some actors who have really felt out of the game for a while, like Kihei Kwan, some people who are just like really starting their their journey, like Stephanie Shu, who did one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. There's life in their film. You can feel it. And I wish that every every movie would be as bold and as soulful and as inclusive as their film. Yeah, I have to let you go in just a second, but um, I wanted to quickly ask about The Electric State, uh, which uh, you're coming up in. That's the new movie from the Russo brothers and Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who have joined us so many times on the Empire podcast over the years, and also features Ki Hu Kwan. Uh, What can you tell us about that project? Have you guys kind of reconnected in person, uh, yourself and Ki, in the making of that, or where do you slot into that? Well, I haven't started my, uh, I've just met with the Russo brothers, but I actually haven't, other than just like them sort of seeing how my face moves, you know, for the animation mm. and doing like a zoom, I actually haven't, my my work is about to start on that film, but I certainly have seen Key a lot because we've been at the awards shows together, but then he and his wife Echo hosted a Lunar New Year dinner um, that was so fun uh, the night before the oscar nomination so my husband and i and the daniels and their partners and a bunch of our cast and crew all went out to dinner in monterey park um we all went there and and key and echo had a big dinner and karaoke party and um yeah i see them a lot and um it's it's really lovely yeah well I, i really have to let you go but what's your karaoke song i have to ask i can't leave that hanging what's your karaoke song it's a tie between three songs. Mm-hmm. I just can't wait to be king from The Lion King. Outstanding. I'm so excited. I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters mm-hmm. and um, Dreams by Stevie Nicks or oh. Fleetwood Mac. Which one? You know. That is an incredible combination. Did you do any of those the other night then? Did they, did they come into play? No, they didn't because we couldn't find any of them because most of the songs were actually um, in Chinese. 
<laughs> oh amazing well jenny thank you so much for your time it's been lovely to speak to you congratulations on marcel and on everything everywhere and good luck for everything in the next few weeks we'll we'll be rooting for you thank you ben it's been lovely to talk to you i'm so happy to be here thanks so much thanks jenny okay so that was jenny slade we'll be discussing marcel the shell with shoes on at least i hope i i hope i'll be around for that i've paul rudd may call it any second i may be i may be called away on ruddy business we shall see uh later on in the review section but for now it is time to talk about the film news the film news um we should probably start with a very very quick plug because it's new empire day right it is it as is we're right. recording this it is it's on sale as of today mm-hmm. uh you are now living in a world in which empires the mandalorian season three issue exists a, a 20 page blowout uh, including lots of words written by myself and by Chris. So that's a great thing. So we have I mean, a... I don't know if I wrote them. You, it's Q&A. Yeah. Okay. They said you them. You channeled them? Is that I what you're going to say? Yeah. Yeah. So I spoke to John Favreau and Dave Filoni uh, about their grand journey together on The Mandalorian, which started off as a pitch from Favs, um, and then it turned into this this huge, epic Star Wars TV show universe with Ahsoka and the skeleton crew and all sorts of stuff ha- happening so yeah I spoke to them about that Ben you spoke to other people a bunch of people about Grogu about my child and yours uh, yeah did a Grogu oral history going from the very beginnings of the idea of that character the initial sketch that Dave Filoni drew in his notebook which is exactly the final shot of the first episode of the show it's amazing it's in the magazine go and buy a copy to see it going right up to their kind of journey through making the physical puppet and the reaction to him on screen all of that stuff the total history of Grogu I had the pleasure of doing that, which was tons of fun. Plus, we have Hannah Flint interviewing Pedro Pascal and Katie Sackhoff and Emily Swallow all about the experience of being in that Mandalorian armor and stepping into the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, So there's, yeah, 20 pages of Mandalorian goodness in that issue. Plus tons of other things. We had a big old chat with Andrea Riseborough like two days after the Oscar nominations came out um, on what that means for her and her whole career. Did we break the news to her that she'd be nominated or was she More or less, it was so quick. We were already speaking to her anyway. And then the Oscar nominations came out and it was like, wow, okay. And we were right there in that moment. uh, And we had a fantastic photo shoot with her exclusively for Empire as well. In the ultimate combination of subject and person, Dan Jolin wrote about Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, rolling the dice with the directors and all the cast. Rolling the, the 20-sided D- dice, I think yeah, you'll find. A, a D20, mm. Actually, 20-sided die. Uh, we have a truly insane opening spread for an Infinity Pool feature featuring an image of Alexander Skarsgård that makes me crack up every single time I see it, uh, talking to Brandon Cronenberg about that film. We have a feature digging into the history of Mabel Normand and her time in Hollywood. Uh, Tons of things. We have Louis Leterrier talking about Fest 10 with Chris. We have Bill Nye looking back on his whole career plus living. Uh, We have reviews of Pearl and... uh, Marcel Shell, which you'll also hear about later on. Uh, tons of things. It's tons an absolute jam-packed issue. It's a cracking issue. It's on sale right now in all good, evil, and virtual news agents. And uh, you should go and buy it right now. Please do. Please buy it. Please buy the issue. 
But enough of ourselves plugging our own wares. Let's plug other people's wares because <laughs> it was the Super Bowl at the weekend. Uh, one, of course, by the Kansas City Chiefs. I stayed up to watch it. My wife, who is much more into the NFL than I, uh, bailed at mm. halftime and wow. she missed a classic Super Bowl yeah. encounter. Big, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, rather, uh, uh, beat the Philadelphia Eagles mm. by 38 points to 35 with mm. a field goal just eight seconds from time. It's really impressive. I, I, I do have to fact check you on one thing. I believe the winner of the Super Bowl was actually Rihanna. Um. Yes. I. Yes. She was that very good. Out. Yeah. Yes. She was very good. Uh, I think the winner of the Super Bowl actually was the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, hey. or was it Indiana Jones, or was it the Flash, or was it Dominic Toretto? Because there were a whole bunch of trailers, as is tradition, that were unleashed during the Super Bowl, during the commercial breaks in the states. Now, because we, uh, my wife, subscribes to the NFL Game Pass, we got to watch it via the Game Pass, we got to watch all the American commercials, which I just love watching the American commercials, like the, the amount of incredible big name stars they have. Like they have Bradley Cooper doing like a T-Mobile ad or something like that. It's like, that would not happen over here. That would be Anton Deck. Oh yeah, they, they had get, Alicia Silverstone doing a Clueless themed ad. They did. They, yeah. It's just, it's incredible, the star power. But really you're watching it for the for the big, um, what do you call them? Mini movies, teasers, that's trailers, it. trailers. Yes. That's the, that's the ones. ones. Yes. Those are the ones. Um, Jimbo, I'm presuming you didn't stay up late to watch it, but what stood out for you, trailer wise? It's oh, a good question. Do you know what the thing that stood out for me most was the Flash, a film that uh... indeed a film that I have cared so little about. Like, I, like, it's is it going to come out? Is it not going to come out? I don't care. Except <laughs> I kind of do a bit now because this made me interested. It may be because they lean quite heavily into the Michael Keaton Batman side of things mm -hmm. to the extent that, you know, you have some of the Offman score riffing in there. Mm -hmm. uh, they have him literally look down the lens and go, I'm, I'm Batman. Yeah, I know. Which is perhaps a <laughs> little on the nose. But, to people of a certain age, I mean, perhaps? Yeah, there was a part that was, oh my god, I gotta see this. So that, I mean, I'm in just on the basis of that. But equally, Alfred, just, new pants, please. Yeah. <laughs> But even just like the rest of it, even seeing the, the flashness of it, the speed force of it play out. Like, I mean, it, the flash, the flash the may well force. enter the speed force. I, I kind of, I mean, look, this isn't the endorsement they're looking for, that I may or may not kind of possibly might agree to watch it at this point. Like, that's not a ringing endorsement, but I'm actually quite interested now. I'm, I'm, I'm quite here for this. It is a good trailer. I'm, I'm, I don't know how to feel about this film. I really, really don't Agreed. know how to feel about this film, especially after, you know, you had uh, Batgirl, more Batgirl discussion this week. Mm -hmm. uh, it's mm -hmm. sort of, again, quibbling with this unreleasable thing, which, you know, we've seen a lot of bad films, guys. I'm back in it. But, you know, uh, taking this entirely aside from the behaviour of, of its star and entirely aside from all the controversy and all the mess behind the scenes at Warner Brothers, like, if we can take it aside from those, it's a good superhero movie trailer. Supergirl. Yeah. And it does have Supergirl yeah. in it. Yeah. The action yeah. stuff looks really and good. I mean, the other thing. General Sod. Is General Sod. Yes. 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 That's right. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I, I listen, sorry, Ben, but, you know, but I'm fascinated by it because it's, it's going to, you know, I was a bit, I was a bit like you, lukewarm in this movie. And then I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, yes, please. Yeah. Uh, I still think you know. We'll talk about Guardians in a second. That may be my favorite trailer of the uh, of the Super Bowl, and it's still the film I'm looking forward to most out of all the ones that were that were trailered on the night. Agree. But the Flash suddenly leapt, yeah, uh, very very high up in my in my anticipation list. James Gunn has been very vocal about how good this movie is uh, in his new role as you know co big cheese of the of the DCU. 
Uh, and in fact, he was probably banging the drum more for that movie than he was for his own movie mm. uh, on the night on Super on Super Bowl night, which was which was interesting. But there's a lot of stuff here, and it's not just. I mean, it's going through. Obviously, we somehow got the Michael Keaton Batman in there. We got the Ben Affleck Batman in there. Yep. It's going back into Man of Steel a little bit with General yep. Sod. Very much. So, so I'm very intrigued to see how it's doing that and playing intertextually with the uh, the the previous. DC movies, not all DC EU movies, but DC movies. Mm. And this is the next film from Andy Muschietti, who did a great yeah. job overall with it. I think it chapter one in particular is fantastic and has so much heart to it. And I know it chapter two was quite overblown, but I think Five there's a lot Empire. of good stuff in that as well. <laughs> and he's a really good director. And I think I was reminded there's been so much, understandably, so much baggage with the Ezra Miller factor, which will be an ongoing discussion in these next few months. Yeah. But I think within all of that stuff, I've kind of forgotten that, oh, I really like Andy Muschietti and I'm really excited to see what he does with this. And from what we see in the trailer, it looked like it had some very cool action stuff in it and interestingly shot superhero-y bits. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm more up on this than I thought it was going to be. But the Guardians trailer, oh, oh my heart, Since my eyes are leaking. Yeah. It feels it feels like very much what it is, the end of an era. And just all the feels. All the feels for that. Like, I don't know, like I have I have mixed feelings about about Guardians 2. Like Guardians remain my favorite team in the MCU, my favorite characters in the MCU. Okay, wrong, but okay. <laughs> but and I loved Guardians One, you know, unreservedly. Guardians two, I think it almost shows how good those characters are that despite a plot that is rubbish, it's still there's still so much to enjoy there because those characters are wonderful. And it feels like here we're gonna lean into that and we're gonna get spend more time with these characters and frankly, probably say a permanent goodbye to some of them. I yeah, I'm I'm excited. It's a fun trailer and it's funny. Um I have issues. I'm worried about the number of baddies. That's always my little sort of, you know, uh oh kind of moment. And I have, so I have some concerns basically about it. But uh, like, I think it's going to be fun. I hope it's going to be fun. I just, I just don't want it to be overstuffed. You know, if you're going to deliver yeah, all these yeah, big yeah, emotional yeah. beats, which is actually what we want for, we want emotion, we want heart, we want, uh, we want to be heartbroken probably if, if we are saying goodbye to some of these people. Yeah. You have to have time for that as well as just setting up all these bad guys. He needs room to breathe. I'm I'm a little worried for Drax's nipples, if I'm honest with you, because he does have very sensitive nipples. And unfortunately, he's wearing, you know, top clothing in this particular (laughs) one. So there will be be chafing. Did he go from top man? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Did everybody notice the weird little fuzzy guy who was in the trailer for like half a second? Obviously, no. So Rocket has like an otter love interest yeah. it seems in this one already in for that there is then a shot pretty swiftly after that of like just a weird fuzzy guy who looks kind of like a loth cat from the star wars animated shows well, he has I like a wide face yeah. yeah just this little fuzzy guy and i'm like yes already oh. down for him i i'm so there for this movie i'm uh it's going to yeah it's going to it's going to do things to me but not in a sexual way uh, although maybe I'm not ruling it out. Uh, oh my god! I'm so so very very excited for it. It's going to it's going to break me. I think it it does look like. No, I'm not going to say. But uh, it it does look like that. You know, I, I think there's a shot in the trailer where it's which is one of our favorite characters saying mm, goodbye to people. Yeah, I'm worried about that and too. I, yeah, uh, as in I'm going to die now, and in a, in a sort of maybe in a wrath of Khan kind of way. Mm. Oh. 
Oh, time. it's too soon. It's too soon. It's too soon. It hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> it's only, it's, no, no, I mean for Wrath of Khan. It's only been It's too 40 soon for years. Wrath of Khan. Yeah, 41 years this 41 year. 41 years yeah. this year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not over it. But okay. was that the best trailer in the last week that features Vin Diesel in some capacity? <laughs> yes, Ben, it was. Yeah. Was it though? I mean, because yes. 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 It was. However, <laughs> let's talk about Fast X. When the Fast X, Fast <laughs> 10 trailer dropped at what, like four o'clock on Friday afternoon, yeah. I've got to be honest, James, I don't think I did any actual work for about an hour and a half because I was just pissing myself for 90 minutes after this. My brain was everywhere. Jesus, ben. Um, TMI. TMI. <laughs> no, th- this like broke my brain, not just because it was four full minutes of and trailer. And your urethra, from what I can from what I can't <laughs> was, was it because it was 100% Momoa? It was 1,000% <laughs> Momoa. 1,000% Momoa. Which is what the, well, the quote that we had from Louis Leterrier about. Or 1,000% a thousand thousand percent Momoa. Momoa yeah, right. yeah. Was what Louis Leterrier told us about his villain, Dante. Um... And I was like, what is the mathematics of this? How can he be physically 1,000% Momoa? And then you see the trailer and you're like, oh my god, he is 1,000% Momoa. (laughs) There's a shot of Momoa's face surrounded by guns, and I think he could possibly be holding all of them in that shot. You have a (laughs) moment where Vin Diesel says things like winning used to be about winning. They have a scene (laughs) where they literally in the trailer go, this can only be solved with a race and then they race and (laughs) it looks big there are literally great balls of fire there are still sort of shoehorned in oh we have a have to have a scene with with just loads of butts like yeah yeah you've got to have underbutt yeah Yeah. you can't have a car race without without underbutt that's just Mm. that's just science it makes the cars go faster ben apparently so that and nos i mean look this looks Super ridiculous. I cannot stress to you enough how stupid this looks. This they went into space in a car last time, and this looks stupider. I am this is not a criticism. This no, is merely an no, observation. Listen, listen, you it's, a, it's a feature, not a bug. I, <laughs> I, I mean, and I'm I'm trying to figure out where in Rome that big explosion happened. And if they blow up the Colosseum, I am I hope be personally do. pissed off. It's had its shot. It's had its shot. A big old boring building. Look, blow there it up. is the Vittorio Emanuele right down Build the, the road. Starbucks. Blow that up. It's Build shit. the Starbucks on his oh. twitching corpse. Are you not entertained, <laughs> Helen? <laughs> I just oh it's it's so stupid it makes no sense that yes. any of these people would be in it yes. everyone who died has now come back to life yes. pretty much yeah. I, why and how the, and I don't care just give it to me anyway the story of this movie seems to be based on the best Fast Fast Five uh, and the idea that whenever they did their big real yeah. heist because that's what it's called over here it Fast and Furious heist. Five real heist uh, <laughs> that there is a moment when that, that Dante uh, who is Jason Momoa's character, who is the son of the drug kingpin <laughs> from Fast Five, who none of us remember, uh, but apparently was played by the bloke from Clear and Present Danger. Um, yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah. Um, Joaquin Almeida, I believe Almeida, is his name. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so he was about to steal whatever's in that vault and then Dom and his crew Oh, I thought he was meant to be him. his son. He is his son. But he was going to steal the vault steal anyway. It. He was, he was a cross-purposes. I think yeah. it was specifically that shot of them pulling the vault away from Fast <laughs> Five and then the reveal that Jason <laughs> Momoa's character was standing there the whole time. Absolutely broke I me. just assumed he was like the bank teller and like he got fired because have they you stole seen him. <laughs> if, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We have to talk about this for a second. If you were hiring bank tellers yeah. and that guy came in, you would hire him you in would a heartbeat. Not hire him. You might you hire would... him as a security guard, but as someone who's going to stand there counting out pennies all day, no. Helen, that is not a counting Helen. out 
if Halifax kind of hired Jason Momoa as a teller, they would get your custom immediately. Yes, obviously my custom, but none of your custom because you'd be scared to know. go near him. Their APR rates are a thousand percent Momoa. It's a very bad, <laughs> it's a very bad loan. Um, but in that single moment, the reveal, the combined reveal of more revisionist history in the Fast franchise of, yes, the whole time this guy was actually there five films ago, plus the fact that Jason Momoa's character is the son of a pre-existing character in the franchise, (laughs) that convergence of things is specifically the moment that absolutely just broke. And Shaw, Shaw is back. Shaw is back. Oh my God. Hang on, we're Shaw, we're Shaw. The Shaw uh, Deckard Shaw. No, no Wishaw's not in this franchise. Don't be ridiculous. And Ian Queenie Shaw. Shaw. Queenie Ian Shaw. Yeah, but oh. we want Ian Shaw back. That's who we want. We want do Ian we? Shaw. We want Luke oh, Evans. I could live without bloody, Ian bloody Luke Evans should be in this film. I also love that when they're when they're casting women in this franchise, they're like, well, she needs to have at least an Oscar and preferably an EGOT. And when they're casting men in this franchise, they're like, does he have muscles? <laughs> <laughs> How many muscles does he have? Because uh, Jack Reacher is in this film answer. as well. He, he is. is. Yes. <laughs> Alan Richardson is in this movie, and uh, he may be the biggest of them all, quite frankly. Although Momoa is a man mountain. Mm. I've, 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 <laughs> I've met Jason Momoa once. I, I, I stayed at his foot camp. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, was, I just clung onto his ankle. <laughs> he walked around London for four days, Jason, unaware I was there. What drew you to the project, Jason? <laughs> Jason <laughs> requires sustenance. Uh, yeah, so there's there's tons of of man mountains in this movie. I'm I'm very 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 excited for it. Uh, even though I think it's going to be largely terrible, but maybe that's why I'm excited for it. They're teaming Deckard Shaw up with Han. Yes, the man that he killed, quote Didn't unquote yes. killed. But isn't this? I mean, this is a, a movie in which you know uh, Dom Toretto and his family are being hunted one by one by an evil person who they have wronged in the past. I mean, this is exactly the plot of Fast Seven, <laughs> and yeah. all of them. <laughs> it's, it's the best one. It is. The, it, it's one of the best ones. I nearly said it is, but then I forgot about Fast Five. Yeah, come existing. on, come on. Yeah. I, I, it's good. It's good. In, you know in summary, Im- it's good. Do you know what's impressive is that's not the stupidest thing that happened in movies this week. The stupidest thing that happened in movies this week is that there's a sequel to Plane, and oh, it's called Ship. Ship, <laughs> ship happens. <laughs> this is. Ship! Except Jerry's not in it. Jerry's not in it. Uh, this is busy schedule. Can't make it. <laughs> he communicates only by shouting out. He's obviously busy taking over as first minister. He is. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you shit. think you got the idea because when you were interviewing him, you were like, I had to drive home really fast because I thought I was going to do a ship. Yes, and he, miss, he, he misheard. Like, yeah. Sequel-itis. Yeah, it's a ship that pulls up <sighs> outside Northampton services. Uh, so this is a sequel to, to Plane. The greatest movie of the year so far that isn't Megan and uh, and Jerry Butler isn't in it. Jerry Butler isn't in it. But if you're wondering if Mike Coulter survives playing, then he does because he is going to be. It could be a prequel. In, no, it's a sequel. No, it, he's uh, he's in ship, and his character Louise Gaspar is uh, stowing aboard a ship. But would you know what the <laughs> his character ship, Louise Louise Gaspar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He, is he though? I, I, I suspect and it may be pronounced differently to that. No, he, that's why how he pronounces it. Louise. Yeah, he pronounces it Louise. Louis. Why would he pronounce it Louise? He pronounces it Louise. Louise. He, Louise Gaspar. His that's name like, is that's Louise how he pronounced Gaspar. it in the fucking interview he did with me. Go back and check. Fine. <laughs> Hang on, maybe I pronounced it that way. <laughs> I no, I said Louis, and he said Louise, did as in Louis Suarez. You know, as in uh, Louise Guzman, as in Louise from oh, so Ant Man and the Wasp. 
Yes, not Louise. Louise. Not Louise. Louise. You, you said yeah. Louise. Clean your ears out. It's Louise. Jesus Christ! That's Unbelievable. Idiot. You're a terrible Frenchman. Ah, de franchement, de de no wait. Quoi? L'homme du français. Merde. Terrible. I've stopped on Duolingo. Yeah, this is abundantly clear. Anyway, Louise Gaspar is. He's stowed aboard the ship because he's still on the run, right? He's on the run from the the authorities because he's a, he's a fugitive, uh, much like Wesley Snipes was in 1998's greatest movie, oh, U.S. Boy. Marshals. And he uh, he stores a, he stores a, he stores away aboard this ship. And as my understanding that the ship is attacked by terrorists, <laughs> it's kind of like under siege. <laughs> and then he has to team up with someone on the on the board who I hope is played by Jared Butler, and they never explain it. <laughs> Yeah. Fingers crossed. To, to fight the terrorists. I think it's actually that the boat that he's on the ship, sorry, is like a human trafficking That's ship. That's it. So then he has to be That's the hero. It. He's like, I'm just trying to get away, but oh no, I happen to get on the one ship that is being used for human trafficking and now I have to be a I hero. hope he says, how can the same ship happen to the same guy twice? <laughs> if, oh. you have, if you have any dignity or decency if you're the screenwriter of, of ship because yeah. here's the other brilliant thing about it they announced a movie this week at some sort of market in Berlin and then they went and now we're going out to writers and directors oh it's boy. like you haven't got a writer attached to this already but this is how Jerry Butler works and this is why Scotland is going to become great again yeah Musker make Scotland great again with Jerry Butler uh, gotta wrap this bad boy up because James apparently has to um, go has somewhere to very so important and who knows I might get the, the Paul Rudd call at any second uh, but there's loads of other stuff we haven't even mentioned the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny Super Bowl spot do we like do we like good short yeah. but good yeah thought that we were going to reveal more but what they did show looks fun alright mm. uh, Finn Diesel apparently is um, making another Riddick movie I'm worried I'm not love a bit of Riddick even though the <laughs> largely terrible but I, I want more give me more Furians mm. largely Furia although largely the most the, like, the, like what was it the Riddick just yeah. Riddick Solar that one was yeah I know and that was the last one I'm just horrible. saying so you know worries. Chronicles Riddick I have quite a lot of time for yeah, I have fun. no time for Chronicles Riddick uh, uh, Paul King is directing Tom Holland as Fred Astaire he is that's, that's a bam for the system that sounds he fun he is but it's still not Paul King directing Paddington 3 I know. what well, the fuck's we, he know, doing we don't have, yeah, that's because somebody else is directing Paddington 3 all right, um, I'm excited about that. Uh, Emma Corrin has mm. just been cast as the bad guy in Deadpool three. That's kind of cool. Which is intriguing. No one knows obviously who they are going to be playing, but uh, that is something that's happening and something that is also happening. And Helen, you can't stop it. it the wheels oh. are in motion. Is Joker Volley 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 Adieu Volley Adieu starring Louise Gaspar and. Uh, Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga and Joaquin Chuckles Phoenix. They're they're back. They're all back. And they released the first image from it this week. Uh, so this is Lady Gaga, Gaga. as um, Harley Quinn, mm. they, they, they say, although it hasn't been made official. They also showed some uh, teaser footage from The Little Mermaid, which I, I don't know why we're re still remaking all of these animations, but, you know, but... Uh, yeah, it, it exists. Yeah. Um, and they're doing a live action How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, which I'm just to contradict myself of a moment ago, actually up <laughs> up for just because more dragons is always fun for me. Can I just shock you? I like live action adaptations of animation, despite what I said earlier. Really? No, it's a Alan Partridge reference. Okay. Okay. And finally, we lost Raquel Welch this week at the age of eighty-two. 
Yeah, she just seemed like she was going to kind of carry on forever because she still looked about fifty. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that was that was a bit of a shock, but she's. She was fantastic. I, you know, I knew her. I think first in uh, Three Musketeers because I was a little bit young to see things like Myra Breckenridge and stuff. But then you know, you see her in One Million Years BC with the over-the-shoulder mm-hmm. boulder holder, as it was dubbed at the time. I believe her. Yes, I believe her, it was. Her bikini. The, yeah, maybe the um, most iconic bikini of all time. Uh, so there's Ursula argument. Andress. Ursula Andress is up there. there as well. But um, she was great in Legally Blonde and a small part in that. She was in Bedazzled. Mm. Um, did a lot of TV in recent years as well. Um. And yeah, she was just kind of one of those just legendary sex symbols of the sixties. I think she'll be she'll be very much missed. Yeah, possibly in some ways even the most legendary mm. sex symbol of the sixties. You know, the Shawshank. Hers is the good point. Yeah, the last poster that Andy Dufresne uses. Lovely Raquel uh, Red says at one point. You know, and there's that image from One Million Years BC. Mm. Yeah, yeah, she was fantastic, and will be indeed much missed. Raquel Welch, who passed away this week at the age of eighty-two. All right, second guest time, second guest time. Uh, Paul Rudd still hasn't happened. Just checked my phone, still hasn't happened. But Kang has happened. Kang is in the bank. Jonathan Majors plays Kang in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which hits this week. He is the new big bad of the MCU. We'll be seeing a lot of this guy or guys, possibly, over the next few years before uh, the Kang Dynasty hits Avengers. The Kang Dynasty hits in 2025. And he is a tremendous actor who's going through a, a moment. He's also fantastic in Creed 3, which is out in a couple of weeks' time. And he is the uh, quote-unquote bad guy in that film uh, as well. And uh, I spoke to him yesterday in a London hotel, and we had a very interesting discussion. This is the complete opposite of what I anticipate my Paul Rudd interview to be uh, later on. Uh, when that happens, I think it might be absolutely batshit insane and a little bit off the walls. Uh, this is a bit more focused and uh, cerebral. From his end. Absolutely not from mine. But, Cerebro? Uh, Cerebro, X-Men in yes. the MCU confirmed? X-Men in the MCU confirmed. Uh, but anyway, here we go. Do please enjoy this interview with Jonathan Majors. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Kang himself. Jonathan Majors, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. Good, yeah. good, good. Glad Thank to hear you. it. Um, now, I was waiting in the press room about an hour and a half ago, and you walked past. And I may be wrong about this, but you seem to be accompanied by music. As you walked. Indeed. <laughs> Which is incredibly cool. <laughs> I wish I was accompanied by music all the time. Can you tell me what, what's, what, what's up with that? What's happening? Is someone walking around with you with an iPad? What's, what's no, happening? No, I just, uh, it's right here. I uh-huh. just have my speaker uh-huh. with me. Um, my, my sword and shield, you know. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing really changes the energy in the room. Then a then a certain track, a nice needle drop will make everybody. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's communicative, you know. It uh, is for and also for an introvert. You where I go, you know exactly how I'm feeling based off the expression of the music. You know, yeah. Uh, there's power in it, you know, and I I like it. You know, that's amazing. I've long fantasized about having speakers attached to my shoulders uh-huh. and walking into a room and then just letting people know how I feel through the, the music. Well, expression. I mean, we're both in the in the world of expression. Yeah, and that is extremely expressive. It is very much so. You know, and it, it also keeps you open. You know what I mean? Which is uh, integral. That's amazing. So, would you consider yourself an, an introvert? Because I do, and yet we're in the expression business. Which yeah. Is weird. Well, I think that's I think that's right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I I I would. You know, an introvert extrovert is it's not how you behave, but it's where you uh, gain your energy from. Uh-huh. You know, and I gain my energy from within you yeah know, uh 
some people gather it from outside, you know. Um, I get mine from just sitting, you know, or thinking or checking in, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So what what drives you then towards towards acting? Towards something that, that does require that expression? Is it that, that age old thing you're attracted, you know, opposites attract, you're attracted to this thing that allows you to express yourself? Um uh this idea of intimacy, this idea of uh, storytelling, clarity. You know, I think something about being an introvert is that um, it's very clear to you, but it's not clear to anyone else. And we're also not in the, uh, I am not in the uh, practice of making myself clear because I'm not an extrovert, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's something about art and especially theater um, and therefore acting that allows one to really exercise that, you know, and to be understood, you know, I think, yeah, to be understood. And so characters, it's an exercise, you know, to understand the complexity of them and then try to express it fully, honestly, truthfully under these imaginary circumstances. It's, uh, it's a huge pleasure principle in that. Mm. And also when you take in a character, you, you're, you begin to, in understanding them, you understand another part of yourself. And as an introvert who spends a lot of time with oneself, um, it's helpful. It's it's beneficial. It it helps with the growth. You know, mm. I can climb a mountain. I like doing that stuff. Driving fast. I like doing that stuff. Um, but there's something exhilarating about pushing the limits of my internal life. Of course, yeah, yeah. Mm. So with with Kang, because you know, <laughs> spoiler alert for the next couple of years, we're going to be seeing a lot of you, huh. or a lot of yous <laughs> over, the, over the next over the next few years. Mm -hmm. That must be an accelerating prospect in terms of exploring those aspects of yourself then. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was really the, the thing that really made me want to grab onto the role. You know, MCU, holy smokes, that's great. Villain, uh, that's, that makes you cool. Um, uh, big bad villain, okay, wait, there's a, there's a certain weight that comes with that. Yeah. And therefore, there's a certain amount of, uh, it promises that uh, it has the potential of strength in it, right? That if you can lift that weight, little by little, um, you get stronger, you know, and therefore better, therefore clearer, therefore mm -hmm. more understood um, as an individual and as an artist. Mm -hmm. And so, with every foray into any role, but specifically now in this in this kingdom, right, <laughs> um, that's the opportunity, you know. And there's a high level of uh, uh, scrutiny that I can have on myself with that. Uh, which then leads to clearer, stronger, more precise uh, work. Doesn't always work, but but that's the goal. Well, that's the beauty of Kang, presumably, is mm -hmm. that you can take these wild swings, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. sometimes if it doesn't work, it's fine. We'll just you know, obviously yeah. there'll be there'll be a main Kang that you'll, yeah. be, you'll, you'll be you'll be playing, I guess. Mm -hmm. But you can maybe play offshoots, and mm -hmm. you can try things. You can try personas. You can try voices. You can try body language. And yeah. if it doesn't work, then you would just move on to the next one. Well, the matrix. Well, I mean that. That's the matrix of it, right? But you, you never know who you never know what's gonna happen. You know yeah. what I mean? And so even if it's a uh and there's no such thing, you know, um, in this world as a one off anything. You know what I mean? There's no such thing. Yeah. You know, um that's the latitude that uh, the MCU allows for itself and therefore allows for its uh company of actors. And so uh there's actually yeah, big swings, but there are also big investments. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, there is no, um, for me, I, 
I can't mitigate a being misunderstood. That's one thing you do understand. Mm. You always understand if someone doesn't get what you're saying. Mm. You know what I mean? And you feel that immediately. That has the reaction of theater. That didn't work. You know what I mean? Mm. You, you, but when the goal is to actually be understood, and you also have this, the other side of the coin that's trying to make something so complex and actually so difficult, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's the yin and yang of that um, allows the pressure and the support to try to build something that's so uh, human, because ultimately that's the goal, right? If I make it human, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to agree with the work I do, can mm-hmm. creed otherwise. You don't have to agree with it. But um, my job is to present it to you in a way that uh, you could, you know? Mm-hmm. You know I, I have to bring you to my point of view. You don't have to agree with my point of view, but I have to bring you to my point of view. Um, yeah, I think that's something that happens in in Quantumania because this iteration of Kang Kang the Conqueror that we meet in this movie mm-hmm. is really fascinating. He's given a big build up. I talked to Peyton and he said we drum roll Kang for about yeah. forty five minutes. He's yeah. going Kang, oh you gotta watch out! Here comes Kang. Yeah, oh, yeah, you, yeah, Kang's yeah. gonna yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kang's gonna scare you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a big, big you know that's a big, big build up. Yeah, and then you appear. Yeah, and you're introverted and you're introspective mm-hmm. and you're inward and everything's mm-hmm. still and everything's silent mm-hmm. but you are mm-hmm. terrifying in mm-hmm. this role so mm-hmm. can you talk about i mean how did you hook into this guy in that way um it, it all revolves around uh time you know 40 if it's if it's 45 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever it is or even the build-up from the announcement mm-hmm. to you know yeah, yeah, kang yeah. is coming you know uh it's all about time um I can't even say the word T I M E without feeling <laughs> feeling the work that 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 I've put into it that all of us have put into it in regards to uh, Kang. But the way he moves, his intensity, all of it—it's a matter of time. How he speaks, and other people's relationship to time, and that he has a different relationship to time. It could be the same for gravity, yeah. right? But yeah. Uh, 9.8 meters per whatever it is, right? It's also in relationship to time. The time is is this omniscient, um, overbearing, supportive, compressing energy mm. that that touches everything and everybody. And now you're dealing with somebody who knows it in a different way. That he's a foreigner in that way, and so he's pulling your attention. And it would behoove you to pay attention because he doesn't. Play. He, he's 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 both extremely regal but extremely feral in his understanding of something. He knows it at his baseness. Um, that's terrifying. And that person doesn't need to rush. That person doesn't need to think fast. Why? Yeah. And that question, that curiosity, is uh, really what I think allows allowed me to tap into him. And then. Time and stakes, right? As the stakes get higher, you see someone who controls the way the time, the way he begins to move through that time, you know, then he begins to express himself differently. He does. Yeah, he really does. And w- without getting too much into, into spoiler territory, I'm very intrigued by his relationship to time mm-hmm. and how he perceives time. Mm-hmm. From your point of view, mm-hmm. do you think that this is a character who has already lived through all the events of this movie, that he mm. knows all the way that the various chess pieces are mm. going to move mm. and therefore acts accordingly because there's only really one way to do it. 
mm-hmm. and this is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Or is he time blind, for want of a better phrase, in the quantum realm? Well, I think he's human. Mm-hmm. And I think we as humans can miss things, even if we know it. So if he knows it or not, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> you know what I mean? His focus is, is on the events of, the, of our story, you know. Um, that's what makes him so, that's really what makes Kang so dangerous. Yes, the time theory and ideas and the affirmation statements are all true, but there is also something about him being a human being, mm-hmm. you know, and the scorned human being is probably the most terrifying thing in the world. In the world. Yeah. You know, and yes, the Time Lord and all that stuff and, and, and how he feels about all that is, is true. Uh, but ultimately, he's a scorned human being. And that's what makes him most dangerous and most um, powerful. Let's talk about a time that's, we don't have a lot of time left, <laughs> weirdly, but let's talk about a time that's very, I guess, lodged in your mind, day one. I always like to ask actors about mm-hmm. day one, mm-hmm. your preparation. You've done all your preparation. Yeah. Did you get much sleep the night before? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. That's a part of the job, you yeah. know, where, you know, you work hard so you don't have to work hard. You know? <laughs> and, 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 you know, day one, yes, there's the, you sort of adrenalized. Even even if you're cool as a cucumber, you know, which I try to be. What was the scene? Super adrenalized. Uh, we all it's a it's a bit of a confrontation scene where we all come together, first time. We meet, you know, and it's it's deep because we have rehearsals and stuff like that. And so I'd already seen Paul and and Evangeline, you know, I'd met them, human beings, you know. Um, but when you get to work on the day, you know, you're you're on the field, you know, and there is a it's quite beautiful that first day, you know, because you look and all of a sudden you, you, you are who you are because of the world you're in and who and who's with you in that world. And Kang shows up. There's no place. There's no place for me there. The only person that can exist on that first day of shooting is Kang. And so I'm confronted with all the work. And it's the only thing I only thing I have to move and navigate. And then you see the missing piece, which is Ant-Man. And uh, Cassie Lang, yeah. you know, and you see that and you go, oh, now I am Kang, without question, you're right? And all the angst and anxiety and adrenaline settles and you remember, I know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how it ends, the whole thing? I uh, don't. No, Only no. Kevin does. Only Kevin does. <laughs> Uh, and that's the fun part. I don't think I would want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. You know, I think uh, this is a main, this is this taking, this is, this has a lot of my attention and a lot of my heart and there's a lot of other things going on. And, you know, you, surprises are helpful. You know, I'm 33 years old. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen indeed. Yeah. Um, you're talking about the work there. And before we started recording, you, you know, I was talking about, have, have seen Quantumania and Creed 3 yeah. this week. So I'm in a very John the Major's headspace. Yeah. And then you said that you wouldn't, you haven't seen the films and you probably wouldn't. Is that something that you don't watch yourself? I don't, I don't watch. I don't watch. Um, By by exercise and by practice. Um, It's just not, it's just really not my business, you know? And I like to think of it as a long throw. And I don't watch playback, you know? You don't? I don't. I mean, I, you have to do ADR, of course. That's a, that's contractually a part of your job, and it it helps the helps the, the the piece be better. You know, you need that. Sometimes it does. Um, so no, I just don't want to. 
I try to keep it as real and as pure as I possibly can, you know, and I don't want to test my, uh, I wouldn't want to test my uh, metal in that way, you know. There's, there's too many insecurities that could be triggered that I don't know about. That's know? fascinating. And watching the work and, and the thing could then detract and subtract from what happens on that day, you know. And Jonathan Major's absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Likewise, bro. Thank you. Okay, so that was Jonathan Majors, and I have just received the phone call that Paul Rudd is happening. So I'm going to leave you now uh, for the review section of the show. Hopefully I'll be back at some point, but in the meantime, I'm going to leave you in Helen's capable hands, and you're going to be talking about Marcel Lachelle with shoes on. I'll happily step in to talk about Marcel Lachelle with shoes on. That's as fast as I can do it. It's not going to get any faster, me saying that title. Uh, which is the tale of Marcel, who is a shell, who does have shoes on. This is adapted from a short series of short films. There's been sh three short films. Uh, first one was like a decade ago mm. uh, on YouTube, directed by Dean Fleischer-Camp this character that he created with Jenny Slate, who voices the character who is a stop-motion animated shell living in an abandoned house uh, with this kind of backstory brewing about this house was once full of energy and life and laughter and human people and other shells. Now he is living there solo with his Nana Connie, uh, living this very adorable kind of piecemeal existence where they are in a borrower's kind of way you know finding little bits around the house that they can use as modes of transport and to get from one area of the house to the other and wheeling around in tennis balls all kind of adorable things and the film is then presented as a documentary in a way mm. dean fleischer camp is making a documentary about marcel the shell living in this house with his nana connie and maybe trying to help him reconnect with the other shells who are no longer in that house for reasons that we find out. And it is super charming. It is this lovely little kind of adorable character living a very funny, cute life who says things that are small and yet so big and profound and this real kind of stream of consciousness style performance from Jenny Slate and yet at the same time touches you in like a deep everything everywhere all at once kind of place through this character through this world that you would never expect to have the weight or impact that it has i was so moved by this film in a way that i didn't necessarily anticipate going in because of the kind of cutesiness mm. of it because it's one of these things where you think, is it a kid's film? And then you watch it, you're like, I reckon kids would probably enjoy it. But it's not aimed at kids, I no. don't feel. Certainly not primarily, like, or even at all. Because as you say, it's very profound. It feels like quite adult. It deals, deals with things such as things like community and loneliness and your roots and family. And it's quite profound. And so, I mean, some of the gags are obviously sail over children's heads as well. But it's not. I, I reckon a lot of people will be put off because it's about a cutesy talking shell. And even though Marcel is 
and I think it's fairly safe to say the most adorable thing that has ever existed on screen. You know, beyond that, beyond that, it's just lovely. Yeah, it's just such a lovely little story. I just like when you remember the trailer for this film because this 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 came out in the US what like two years ago? Like it's been a while. Right? Yeah, I think like sixteen million years ago. It, yeah, it actually, something like yeah, that. It it's, it's older than the dinosaurs. Projected on a cave wall. I what believe. was that? Yeah, uh, sixty-five maybe a film about finding the first print of this. Uh, but it feels like we've waited a long time for it. And, and when that trailer came out and we were all kind of falling in love with this little show and how cute he looked. But I actually, the film is more than that. Like, have you seen, have you seen the shorts? You seen the shorts? Yeah. Mm. In fact, they showed one of the shorts ahead of, uh, when I went to see the Fablemans at Picture right. House a couple of weeks ago, instead of showing a trailer for the film, they were just showing one of the Marcel shorts. <laughs> and just to hop in on that friend, I, I thought the short was cute and had some funny moments in, but I will admit, maybe very slightly edged on the side of annoying at times in a way that the film absolutely mm. does not. I mean, this the film is coming, yeah, over a decade after that first short, and you can feel how confident they are in the tone and the character. I, I think this had the potential. I was really looking forward to this film, but I was also like, it does have the potential, this level of whimsy, mm. to then tip over into something very slightly grating or irritating. But the film itself does not do that at all. Yeah. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. You feel like you, you're right. You feel like they have been working on it and winnowing ideas and coming up with ideas and rejecting, rejecting, yeah. rejecting until they've just got this solid core of gold little moments and little little stories to a explore. A shell, if you will. A shell, if you will. And um and yeah, and so you get this lovely relationship between Marcel and his his grandmother, who's played by Isabella Rossellini, right? by the way. Like <laughs> they did not stint on this. Um and you also have the lovely relationship that he has with Dean. So yeah. the the backstory is that, you know, Dean in, in this reality, if you like, rents this house on Airbnb and then discovers these shells living there. And and they have these very frank little conversations. And, and Marcel is almost giving this heartbroken man who's had to move out and into this Airbnb while he figures out his next step in life after a breakup. He's kind of almost asking about his love life and giving him yeah. advice and sort of, you know, and so there's kind of two lost lonely souls kind of connecting in the story. It's, it's the beautiful. moment where he turns to him and says, you didn't think to share? I've been sharing. Like, why didn't you share? And he's <laughs> oh. like, oh! Do you know what it's kind of like? The lovely Mike Mills film, Come On, Come On, that was mm. Joaquin Phoenix and the kid. And the kid, from this kid perspective, is just asking the questions that as an adult you wouldn't ask yeah. in a very yeah. naive way, but a very open way that then demands these mm. kind of profound or interesting answers and thoughts off the back of those questions and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On does that well that was yeah, fast that's so that true was pretty, that was the fastest I've ever said it um, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On does that yeah. it has this mm. character who is so naive and so open and has such a unique perspective on the world that they then pull you into their point of view mm -hmm. through the things that he says and the questions that he poses yeah um, also, I think we haven't necessarily said yet, this film looks absolutely beautiful. Mm. It is like gorgeously shot. It is an A24 film. It has that kind of airy, indie, like A24 aesthetic going on. It looks absolutely beautiful. The animation is stunning. And something that I talked about with Jenny Slate in that interview was just that it blows my mind to even begin thinking about how they made this film that is up for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars, that has its central character being a stop-motion animated character, and yet it is live-action 
footage. It's presented yeah. as on-the-fly, handheld camera movements with a character who is plasticine. How do, and about how one do inch tall. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, full marks to, um, I think Eric Adkins did the stop-motion DOP job and Bianca Klein did the other DOPing. But, I mean, the, just the level of detail and the level of work they put in to match lighting, to match everything up. Just, you know, you, there are a lot of interviews online of Dean Fleischer Camp talking about this, but just the complicatedness of going for a drive with Marcel is yeah. is just unbelievably difficult to do and and the level of artistry in this is is really really impressive i also just find it hilarious on a personal level that this is an animated film and avatar isn't <laughs> what world are we living in people come on but I, um but yeah it's a it's adorable it is i think it's exactly what ben said it's from the mouths of babes isn't it like mm -hmm. there's a naivety but also a, a sort of a profundity to it just the way like there are tiktokers sort of like doing videos and marcel's like it's an audience it's not a community and you're just like, oh, that's deep. And just, just when, when, when Marcel is introduced to the great outdoors for the first time and has a look at the town in which they live, and it's like, is this all there is? Like, is this the whole world? And he's like, no, this is just part of a town, which is part of a city, which is part of a country, which is, and it's just, oh, it's, it is, it is life affirming and joyous mm. and delightful, and everyone should watch it many times. But not overly cute, I would say. I don't want us to oversell the cuteness of this. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh my God, get me a bucket. And also, it is like punch you in the heart sad at points mm. as well. Like, do not underestimate. It is beautiful and fun and funny and cute, but it is also the emotional complexity comes with an element of you might feel sad at points but in not, this film. It's not like heartbreak. Like, the shell does not get crushed underfoot and die horribly. Like, no, it's, it's, like, not, it's not nasty. It's not like <laughs> that kind of thing, but it is, you might be There's surprised that the shell <laughs> is going to make you feel yeah, sad. Sorry. There is a melancholy. I was thinking of slasher movies and then razor clams came to mind. Oh, it's a whole thing. No. Um, okay. There's a bit where Marcel cries and is standing in a puddle of his own tears, and that's like, it's yeah, very, it's very, it's very upsetting. Anyway, so that is five stars. Five, five, five stars with shoes on. Five red ones for Marcel the Shell with shoes on, which is adorable. Another film that we should talk about is The Son. This is Florian Zeller's, I guess, follow-up spiritual successor to mm. The Father and prequel to The Holy Ghost, which we have yet to see. <laughs> uh, Helen, you have seen The Sun. Yeah. The, did it shine brightly uh, for you? Oh, boy. Sun with an O, just to be clear. Yeah. For anyone confused. Uh, yeah, look, I loved The Father. I thought The Father was really clever. I thought The Father did a brilliant job of looking at, you know, uh, dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever you want to put it for the Anthony Hopkins father character in that and sort of almost treating it as a horror movie and it did something really really clever with putting you inside the perspective of someone with this awful disease and and it, I thought it was, I mean not just a brilliant performance but also a brilliant approach so I was very excited about this actually I thought this could be a really really great film and I don't think it is <sighs> apart from one thing which is the lead performance by Hugh Jackman so he plays Peter who is this kind of um very successful very um you know, kind of type A, you know, big deal of a person. He's about to go and work on a, a Senate campaign. He's in politics. He's very much in demand. Important people come to him and ask questions. He has broken up with his first wife, Kate, who's played by Laura Dern, and taken up with a younger woman, Vanessa Kirby, and they've had a new baby together. And, you know, he, he seems like a guy who's got things kind of figured out. And then Kate comes to him and she says, our son is struggling and you need to help me with him. So his son is Nicholas. He's played by Zen McGrath. And he is basically 
as far as we're told, he's basically suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. But here's where the film kind of loses me, because I, I didn't think it, it showed us or taught us or told us anything about depression that was half as clever or as 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 you know in, in, insightful or as as affecting as anything was in the father and then it never really turns into nicholas's story so you kind of end up end up thinking well is the son of the title actually peter because there is one scene where he goes and meets his father anthony hopkins returns obviously different character but he you know he returns to play that father and they clearly have a difficult relationship so you're like okay how has that affected the next generation. There's clearly a story about you know fathers and sons and and ills passed on through through time and, and tough relationships. I get that, but it's one scene and and great as Anthony Hopkins is and genuinely great as Hugh Jackman is, that's not really enough. Do you know what I mean to kind of justify this whole thing? Because you don't see Peter re repeating the same mistakes. He's clearly making his own new mistakes with his family. So it, you don't get that sense of generational trauma or whatever being being passed on. It seems like new generation, new trauma every every generation. So I, I just, I never really felt like I got what this film was trying to say. And it almost felt like, I think, mental health tourism in a way. It didn't feel like it was treating depression is as seriously as I think it as I think it should be treated, and mm. as it didn't seem to be tr taking Nicholas as seriously as his condition warrants being taken. So I was a bit, I was just a bit unhappy about it. So I mean, it's still very stagey. Again, the father worked being in essentially one location, apart from a couple of very short scenes, takes place all in his apartment, yeah. and that makes sense because he's trapped in his own mind and he's trapped in this apartment and he's not really fit to be outside on his own. Here, when you spend most of the time in the apartment, it just feels like this was made under lockdown conditions. It just feels like, why are we still in the apartment? Why are we not going out for a walk or something? You know, some fresh air will do you good or whatever. Um, and and it just so it just felt small and stagey and artificial. And and again, these are big issues, and it shouldn't feel that way. So I just I, I was not a big fan. We gave it three, and like I can see it. There are good mm. performances, especially Jackman again, but but. I don't know what it was trying to really say, and I think a film like this should say something, should do something. And it feels like you're in more of a two star. I probably personally am in more of a two star camp, but like I, it's it's not a three that offends me. I'm, I'm not like what was the reviewer <laughs> thinking? This is I, I get it. It's it's just one of those. I would probably err a little bit lower. So yeah, handsomely made and everything. Um, and, and I do think like Hugh Jackman is, he has got a character there. He's got, you know, he's got inside the head of a person. The, that person makes sense to me. That person is, is, a, is a fully fledged 3D character. Um, it's just everything around him feels kind of flat by comparison. Mm. So, you know, yeah, not so great. So I don't know, I, you know, this, this film hasn't done hugely well. I don't know if we'll get to see The Mother, which is the actual third part of the trilogy. Um, I'll be interested to see if he can recapture the magic of his first um, the first attempt here but um but yeah that is florian zeller's the sun three stars from empire okay then three stars then for the sun yeah doesn't sound that great though helen doesn't sound like a great follow-up to the father wait Ju judging from what you just said there how did you whoa where were you hiding i used the quantum realm helen <gasps> i have emerged from the quantum realm and i have emerged with a paul rudd interview which people will hear at the end of this podcast and which is quite frankly chaos you shock me. <laughs> I know. I know. I think it was 12 minutes before I asked a question about the movie. So that was, um, that, it's fun. It's a fun, fun interview. 
that I think people will be looking forward to, but not half as much as they're looking forward to our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the third and potentially final film in the Ant-Man trilogy, <laughs> which began in 2015 with, of course, Ant-Man. Uh, and this is director Peyton Reed returning. All the gang is back. Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas. A couple of newcomers in there. Catherine Newton as the recast, recassie, uh, recast Cassie Lang and Jonathan Majors as the new big bad of the MCU. Kang, the Conqueror. Jimbo, 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 Jimbo in the jet set. Uh, talk us through this movie. Well, this is the long-awaited follow-up to your favourite movie in the MCU, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Sorry, no, no, no. Sonny Birch and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Get it right. (laughs) Well, I can neither confirm nor deny whether or not Sonny Birch appears in this film. He does not. But this sees... Fucking one-star travesty. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, (laughs) This sees Paul Rudd return as Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man, the anti-hero of the MCU. He wrote that down. Uh, well, Taylor <laughs> Swift wrote it down, but I'm just surfing on it. Um, and in pardon. this particular one, he is getting on with his life. He's happy. He saved the world. He wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. He's reunited with his daughter. Everything is going well, uh, except his daughter is kind of getting arrested for sort of modern Gen Z activist causes, which we can all be, I guess, kind of behind. Very uh, much behind. It's a really good cause. Anyway. I mean, sure. Uh, we should all be going around doing uh, mischievous things and getting arrested for it. But yes, she's very, very good. She's uh, she's causing him no amount of stress, I would say. But more than anything else, she's been working on a science project in the basement, which involves the quantum realm, more specifically studying the quantum realm. Unfortunately, Janet Van Dyne, a.k.a. Michelle Pfeiffer, has not told them everything about the quantum realm. So <gasps> when they go looking into the abyss, the abyss stares back into them and they get sucked into the quantum realm, which is basically yep. an episode of Star Trek on a microscopic level. They get sucked off at the beginning of yes. the movie and it they all get goes sucked off by the quantum realm. Downhill from there. It does. It or or really downsized, does. really, more than yes. nothing else. Uh, but so, like, kind of my thing with this is, is like, you remember the beginning of, uh, of Doctor Strange where it's just a super trippy weirdo crazy thing i'm aware of it yeah and it's like and you think okay well that's as weird as the mcu is going to get and then i kind of think this one goes to weirder places because Mm -hmm. the quantum realm it's not just that it exists kind of semi outside of time and almost outside of space and i'm not quite sure what the rules apply to it but they've kind of leaned into the weirdness of the idea of like it's not like tardigrades floating all over the place but it's very much like a bit like the cantina sequence in star wars it's it's a little too yeah. star wars for me but yeah, it's very star wars it's aliens everywhere there's a gelatinous thing there's a guy with a laser for a face there's a talking broccoli monster there i mean it's very weird and very surreal and the politics of this place is quite complicated and it is ruled over by a certain conqueror named kang a kangaroo a kangaroo yeah, uh, and it all plays out from there. The weird, the weirdness factor of it, I found quite endearing, and I think the comedy for me really landed. Like there is a running gag that I will not spoil, which involves one of Marvel's stupider characters, which is just inherently very entertaining. And I think all the way through, so, I mean, I've always loved Ant Man because it's quite light and it's quite fun and it's quite funny, and this retains a lot of that, but. I think while the previous two films are quite slight in both a literal and metaphorical sense, I think what this tries to do is an awful lot of heavy lifting. It feels like it's trying to set up the ne- the MCU's next big bad. It's trying to go to an entirely new dimension and flesh that out in the runtime of this film. And I sometimes feel like its ambition maybe outstrips its reach at times, and it doesn't quite manage it. I 
don't think I hold that against the film though because I had so much fun mm. with it. Like I thought it was really great and I think they're all great company and I think Cassie is a really great addition to the little, you know, anti-team. However, and not to preempt what I know Helen is going to say, but I still think Evangeline Lilly has the most thankless task in the entire MCU. That that character has had zero character development across three films. Yeah. All we know about her is she works hard and likes her family. That She's is literally that's it. That's a good thing. That's, that's a, that's a good character. Both good qualities, but that is not a character. We know even less about Sonny Birch and he's the best character in the MCU. <laughs> I mean, there we go. I rest my case. Shoes with no socks. She does get a new haircut. Yeah, I, again, that's not a character trait. I, I just, I don't know how to say this. But, but then the haircut changes again within the course of the film. That's oh, character development. Character that's development. True. Anyway, that's now, a spoiler, Ben. That's a spoiler. I would, I would mostly agree with that. And you know how I hate agreeing with James, but here we are. Like, I had a really good time watching mm. this, and then it is now two days later. I saw it twice actually in one day. Yeah, and I can still barely remember things you know it's it's very light it's very frothy a lot of things happen from that moment where they get sucked into the quantum realm i'm not going to say sucked off um they it's it's kind of a chase movie it's kind of an adventure movie mm. it's just like boom 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 one thing after another uh somebody's on the run somebody's chasing them somebody's trying to get help from somebody else to do the thing and rescue the whatever that like that's all it's non-stop from that point on and i appreciate the pace and i appreciate the 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 energy of it a lot and yeah. I had a lot of fun and it's still funny and it's still charming but there's no there there for a lot of the time it doesn't actually feel like great character development for me um, not even I mean leaving aside Hope who's just hopeless at this point ironically um, but like you know even for even for Scott I didn't feel like there was a lot of character development I thought his family were being incredibly unfair to him at the beginning going like yeah you saved the world then what and it's like well that's quite a lot, guys. That's more than I've done. I mean, you know, it feels like he, he can get a little bit of a pass. He's also just written a book. He's a published author, yes. Which absolutely. is also not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I did feel a little bit like there wasn't much of a problem there to solve, really. And yes, there's a bit more kind of a, of a rapprochement or a, a building relationship, developing relationship with his daughter, which I really liked. Thought those scenes were all good. But it just didn't feel like there was enough meat there to play and certainly not enough to balance against Jonathan Majors as Kang because he is fantastic. He is, I mean, he is, I'm, I am really here for the Kang era. He is f an incredible presence on screen. Um, I, I just, it sometimes felt like a little bit of a low-key replay. I know what you mean. I, I'm very much here for Kang as well. And I think Major's performance of him is great. I mean, obviously, mm. and if you've seen Loki, you obviously know there are, uh, Kang is a character with many different shades, shall we say. Mm. Uh, but I love the fact that he's quite underplayed here. He's almost genteel at times. He's quite sort of furtive and subtle. Uh, and he's not overplayed. He's not hammy. He's not bomb bombastic. Uh, and actually, that bodes very well for this because he's more sinister and more threatening for it. It's also takes, I think, steps deliberately to not quite define the limitations of what he is and is not yes. capable of. Like, it's quite vague in what he can and can't do, which I liked as well. And also, that, that's I think that's absolutely true, but it's also, he's he is a villain. Like, it's not just he's a really interesting character and we're almost going to make him a hero. No, he's not that, Thanos, you know, no. He's not Thanos. Like, he, he, you know, he does visibly bad things yeah he's which, a dick yes and he i am so dick. i'm i'm very much here for him not just being he's 100 a dick yes. yeah he really is and mm. it's never too late to not be a dick that is you know true. so that is true 
Yeah, fingers crossed. But, but like, I am very much here for mm. Kang as a result of this. And I want to see him evolve. Thing. I don't want to yeah. see him as the villain. Sorry, Ben, you get to speak as well here. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. I'm going to continue <laughs> with the Kang do attitude. I thought hey. Jonathan Majors was incredible in this. And for me, I kind of had some slight pacing issues with this film in that uh, it has a lot of colourful sci-fi wooshy-wooshy bang-bang stuff and then it'll kind of stop for quite a dense like 10 minute Kang conversation in a way that's slightly abrupt Mm. at the same time that 10 minute Kang conversation you will be like hooked into that you'll be hanging on Jonathan Major's every word so I Mm. I don't know I felt the tonal and pacing shifts in those moments in a slightly clunky way but the pieces that I was getting Mm. I was still enjoying and I think the colorful whooshy sci-fi stuff it is a it's like an ant-man version of an avengers movie if ant-man has always kind of by definition and in a good way been more slight within the mcu it's going to be a bit of a caper if this is the ant-man version of an avengers movie it has a lot of the big spectacle and it's much grander in scope but it still has a lightness to it Mm. i just i like colourful, whooshy, sci-fi flavoured Marvel. With sentient buildings. With sentient buildings and uh, like a character who I love so much who I'm not even going to allude to because you should just discover him in the film. (laughs) Helen is doing an action right now. I am nodding vigorously in agreement at that action. Um, I don't know how this is going to go down but to me this had a little bit of a Thor the Dark World thing going on in that I actually really like Thor the Dark World and I recognise it is not one of the good ones but it is really fun and it is my one of my favourite flavours of Marvel and this one I don't think it is top tier Marvel by any means but it is my preferred flavour of Marvel like I think Black Widow is a better film than this but that is a different flavour that I don't enjoy I I don't I know for me this is better than Black Widow, for me, it's better than Wakanda Forever. It's better than Multiverse of Madness. I, I, you know, you know, I were the the only Love and Thunder fans in the yes. whole world, as far as I can tell. But we are the yeah. two screaming goats. It's definitely we are. better than Love we and Thunder. Are. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's not. But it's. But I, I love when they embrace this absolutely wild batshit Gonzo uh, side of of Marvel and side of comic bookery. And there are images in here that are just <laughs> wild. There yeah. are. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit more in our spoiler special, hopefully. But for me, there are visuals that I think we'd be getting a lot more praise if they weren't in a Marvel movie, quite frankly. Uh, and I think, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, there's been a bit of snobbishness and a bit of snip, snippishness uh, towards this film uh, that I feel is is frankly unwarranted. I think it's a, it's a very, very, very good Marvel movie for me, but I, I suspect I'm, I'm more up in it than most. Do you think that, because I wonder whether the fact that it's untethered from reality is going to alienate a certain number of it. Yeah, it is. But you know what I mean? Like, it leans into the sci-fi elements. Like it's really, like, there are sci-fi. hard sci-fi concepts in here that I think major, major mm. filmmakers and major Jonathan films major filmmakers. have struggled to to put on screen before. There's like there's shit in here that made Jodorowsky's Dune look like an episode <laughs> wow, of Neighbours. okay, all right. I, I, I'll be honest, from a sci-fi point of view, I had some, I had some major notes. We'll get into this again Major's more on the, on, this, on the spoiler special. But like, Ant-Man's powers in the quantum realm. I have notes. I, I just I, that didn't seem like that should work that way, and I was a little bit confused. Why not? By... Oh, no, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But I, you know, so I, I, and I also felt like maybe they could have pushed the weirdness more. Like maybe instead of having an identifiable cantina, there could have been something just completely 
batshit. Maybe instead of having identifiable freedom fighters, it could have been something completely batshit. Yes, but within that, there is stuff that I have never seen on yeah. the big screen before. There are alien species that are huh. legitimately alien and not just True. men in suits yeah. or, you mm. know, or kind of shonky CG that we get in Star Wars or Star Trek. There is stuff here that I legitimately have never seen before. Concepts that I have never seen put on the big screen before. And, you know, not everything works, but these are wild swings. For me, this is Peyton Reed's audition for Secret Wars, I may be completely off beam about that, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was announced as the director of Secret Wars at some point um, in the near, in the not too distant future, because uh, it feels like and this is demonstrably and markedly such a huge change up. If you thought the change up in tone from Thor and Thor: The Dark World to Thor: Ragnarok was <laughs> was pretty big, the change in tone. Uh, from Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, which are these fun, well, inventive comedy papers. I don't think it is. I think this is a complete... Uh, I would say I would say visual, right It's that. a visual you reinvention. Think? This I, is a tonal reinvention. Those are, those are both like San Francisco-based Oh, you know, but, but comedy that's, that's the texture of it. I don't think it's that tonal. There's a heist different. element to this, I guess. I think weirdly, weirdly, I think because Ant-Man gets more playful between one and two, and with this one, it retains that playfulness, but, it's but there's, also, a seriousness. Has, there's a sense there's, of gravity to it because of the scope which of what he's dealing with. Which I think was a lot of people's problems with thought Love and Thunder was that it was it was trying to hook it into those great big emotional concepts while at the same well, time also, being incredibly glib yeah. and taking the piss out of yeah. itself. And weirdly enough, I think this, despite being funny all the way through, because how can you not be with Paul Rudd and yeah. the character and we is. haven't talked about yeah. who is just inherently ridiculous and just <laughs> an enormous fun to watch. But when Kang is on screen, it's really, really serious and yeah. it's quite intense and quite brutal. And it's it's a world away from uh, the first two Ant-Man movies and in fact you know I, I said this to when I interviewed Peyton Reed for the spoiler special which will be out in a couple of weeks time folks if you haven't subscribed subscribe now Two ninety nine a month thirty two ninety nine a year it's better than a uh, poke in the face uh, but there you go there's your there's your tagline <laughs> um, but you know I was saying to him that I, uh, I've, I've been racking my brains and the only film I can think of in a major franchise that changes gears so completely as this one is Halloween 3. And that is because that's, that, you know, jettisons Michael Myers, it jettisons Sam Loomis, it jettisons uh, Laurie Strode. It, you know, there's none of that stuff. It becomes a supernatural tale because, you know, the, the idea from that point the, you know, was that it was going to be an anthology movie. And I can't really think of anything else. You could maybe talk about the way the Fast Five supersized that franchise, possibly. Thor Ragnarok obviously introduces this anarchic, anything goes tone to the Thor movies. But this is a completely different visual palette. It's a completely different tone. Uh, and I, I kind of, I've, I've, I fell for a hook, line, sinker, uh, to be honest. And uh, uh, I think we've been a little harsh in it. But, but hey ho, you know, I've drunk the ooze. What can I say? You have. The one person we haven't shouted out who also is very good is Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer! Mm -hmm. Because Michelle Pfeiffer was really like the MacGuffin of the last movie and kind of got nothing to do. And she gets a significant amount to do here. And she is very good because she is Michelle Pfeiffer given a lot of stuff to do. So adding that into the mix along with Jonathan Majors as Kang, Paul Rudd doing his Paul Rudd thing in a very good way as Scott Lang... There's a really kind of strong set of actors and some mm -hmm. really decent performances in this. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Fife's. <laughs> Shout out to Fife's. Fife's? So we're calling her Fife's? <laughs> I'm allowed to. I'm a friend. Well, this, this, film, this film has Fife's and it is absolutely bananas. Fife stars. Fife's bananas. Fife's bananas. Now we heard. Yeah. It was there. Okay. Yeah. Three stars then for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which I think is a little bit harsh. Or in fact, fuck it. I think it's a lot bit harsh. But, but what can you do? 
Four Chris stars then. Yeah. Four Chris stars. Uh, if they had Sonny Birch in this movie, they would have put it over the top and got the first ever <laughs> six star rating from me. Wow. But there you go. Uh, three stars then for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And hey, should we hear from the star of that film? Let's. Let's do it right now. And this fresh is Fresh off Rudd. the press. Fresh off the press. The the sound card is in my pocket. Uh, if anyone has a giant magnet, do not wave it in my direction or we will lose this interview. Here's me talking to Paul Rudd um, at some point about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. But otherwise, it's honestly just gibbering nonsense. Enjoy. And I like you've unbalanced me. I've got no water. So, no, 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 you know, no. A, the power dynamic. We'll is see shifting. how this goes. You'll mm. see if you if you can earn some water. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a little thimble full of water at the yeah, end. Yeah, perhaps right. maybe when it's a yeah, when okay. I do like a water boy thing, where just go <laughs> <laughs> give you a, oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, Paul, this is for the uh, Empire podcast, so I'll give you an introduction so that people know who you are. Okay, if you need any introduction whatsoever I'll take anything I can get <laughs> <laughs> what if I juiced it up a bit and said Lord Paul of Rudd star of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania oh, would you be happy with that or I don't know that's a lot to live up to it's a lot to live up to it sounds like something that really did exist in this country a lot. Uh, Lord, uh, Lord of Rudd Lord Paul of Rudshire he did <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, you had a great Rush. tract of land yeah. although uh, uh, Rudd Rudshire <laughs> That's it. That's yeah, it. Sure. So you've spent time here. You know how we say these things. So oh, yeah, here. yeah. 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 Um, Gloucester. <laughs> Edinburgh. Edinburghers. Yeah. By the way, yeah. I had an Edinburgh for lunch today that was so Scottish. <laughs> what did you do? Just have two bits of haggis. <laughs> yeah. Haggis yeah. between was, two bits it, of other haggis. It was it, it, it was it was haggis. <laughs> haggis between haggis. <laughs> Uh, it's called the Billy Connolly, and when you bite into it, uh, this, uh, a proclaimer song comes out, of it and, and it's, it's called an Edinburgher. Oh my God! Oh, the proclaimers! Love the proclaimers! I joined the proclaimers fan club when I was a kid. You never did. I swear to God. Um, by the way, this mm-hmm. was pre Benny and June. Mm-hmm. I heard uh, Five Hundred Miles uh-huh. as a kid, and like. Uh, I don't know what that is, but that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then I had to track down Sunshine on Leaf because you couldn't get it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was in living in the Midwest. We uh-huh. we we only just got CDs last year. <laughs> uh, <coughs> CDs and so what are um, those? yeah, and and uh, I, and I heard it, and uh, I was like, okay, this this has just changed my life. And I sent away, and I joined the Proclaimers fan club. Tell me that you're still a member. Tell me you didn't let it lapse. Well, I had not kept up with my dues. Come on. Um, by the way, still love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that once a member, always a member, that it's a <laughs> lifelong membership. Uh, but I have not received any newsletters as of late. How many miles would you walk to renew your membership? Great question. Um, <laughs> and it's tough because there's an ocean between us. Uh, I'm in the States and there, uh, so you can't really so walk. You glug after a while. Yeah, so you, just, you just yeah. go glug, glug, glug. Yeah. yeah. How, not, I would I would swim five hundred laps <laughs> to renew your proclaimers to, re- to renew my proclaimers yeah. membership. Yeah. Okay, we we were going to talk about the film at some point. We don't but, have to. But, no, but I, I feel we should. Uh, we, we could switch over. And I feel very contractually obliged to talk about. All right, it. fair know, enough. Do you or do you want do to talk I feel, about, Do you want to talk about it? Well, we I mean, sure, yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, that's why I'm here. We can, we can talk about it, but um, I, I don't know. You know, I feel like this conversation is going in fun directions. I'll go yeah. any way you want. We could talk about a. Uh, well, the, the, before we before we get on to Quantumania, okay. 
I want one more proclaimers thing. Do you karaoke? Do you karaoke? Do you ever karaoke? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Oh my god! All right, I'm I'm like a Korean businessman. That's my love of karaoke. Extends. <laughs> this is done. You're you're going to the karaoke place. I have my I have my own karaoke set up in my house. I I karaoke so much. People I are like, "What's how... your go-to song?" Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Go-to song." <laughs> oh, that's cute. I had a go-to song twenty years ago. Now I like to do ones that are uh, I've never done before. Do you do a set list? Do you mm. do an encore? No, I mean, I, I, I think it's fun to, I like to do songs that are um, uh, not particularly even like great songs, maybe mm. not even particularly good songs, uh-huh. but interesting you can, songs. You can hold the tune. I've heard you. Uh, I've heard you. Yeah, some, uh, yeah, Put you to a line when I heard you sing that. Uh, that was very good. Oh, <laughs> well, that's very, a great. Good by the way, that's, you know, one of my all time favorites. It's an amazing song. It's an incredible song. I put, you know, I think like, it's right there with God Only Knows for me as far as just kind of perfect songs. Yeah. And I need you more than I want you. And I, I want, want you, you for, for all time. time. That's just... Jimmy the, Webb. He, he wrote that. I think he was 19 or 21. He was one of those. And he wrote that lyric. Isn't wow. that incredible? That's an amazing lyric. That's yeah. one of the most romantic lyrics I've ever heard. Yeah. To, there's another one from a Scottish band called Teenage Fan Club. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever, if sure, of course. There's, a, there's one from uh, I'd Steal a Car to Drive You Home, which is an amazingly romantic lyric. Yeah, that's, is that off Bandwagon-esque? That's off Grand Prix. That's off Grand Prix. Yep, yep. That's off Grand Prix. Yep, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. I was just happy that I got out (laughs) Bandwagon-esque, which, uh, (laughs) no, a seminal band. An amazing band, an amazing band. Yeah. The reason I brought up karaoke was uh, whenever Empire Karaoke's, uh, and we do 500 Miles, we uh, like to insert Peter Mullen's name. You know the Scottish actor? Of Peter course, Mullen? yeah, yeah. Uh, try it. It scans perfectly. If you go, Peter Mullen, Peter Mullen, Peter Mullen, Peter Mullen, Peter Mullen. Try it next time you're karaoke and thank me later. It <laughs> will transform your experience. You'll have to give me your email so I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm contactable, Paul. You can, you can find me on the web. All right. The World Wide Web. Okay. Look me up. Anyway. Right. Look, anyway. I just got into CDs. You're throwing real <laughs> technology at me now. And I'm not quite. All right. It's chris.hewitt79 at compuserve.net. You just have to get one of those dial of things. Right, right. You'll be Great. totally fine. All right. Yeah, perfect. All good. Anywho, anywho. Um, is this going to go, this encounter right now, if you were to write your autobiography, your memoir, like Scott Lang does mm-hmm. in the motion picture Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania in cinemas right now, would this encounter make your book? This one this right now that we're this having. This encounter right now. Would, and if so, where would, would you start with it? Would, you, would this be? It'd be in the, the index. <laughs> I wouldn't want to burden anyone yeah. with uh, any of this. Yeah. But uh, for those who really enjoy the uh, 800 some odd pages that they just gotten through <laughs> and they want even more. <laughs> They would find they'd find this little section in the appendices. It'd be I'd be yeah. like the Lord of the Rings. I'd be in the, uh, right at the end. Oh, yeah, right at the end, in very very small font. <laughs> very, yeah, very small font. It'd be like a, it has it, like a footnote. Like you would have a number, <laughs> and then you'd have to go back and cor- correspond the conversation to the number. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad to have made it. I'm glad to have made the appendices. Oh no, this but, definitely did. Yeah. Oh, for God's yeah. sake. Yeah, but yeah, but has that appendices? Appendices. That's what I say. If I if I mispronounced that, no. I think it's just nice to hear appendices. I know. It's a word you don't often hear. Yeah, because you would think like appendis, append, append, I, yeah, I, I almost just said it's in the, the appendicitis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> I'm allergic to appendices, so I have appendiceitis. Um, but 
there is a moment, you know, it's obviously Scott, right? Uh, we're trying manfully to, to get You've back You've done an exceptional job. I know where you're going with it. It was a good segue, do you think? I thought it was a really good, yeah. you know, it, 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 it. I don't think I should even finish my question because I think you knew where I was going. I knew it. Well, no, you're like, okay, a book, but okay, yeah. This is, yeah. I think it was an elegant way of getting back into it. Certainly, I wasn't going to help you in any way. <laughs> well, Paul, I had, t- I had two questions in my head to start off with when I went in here. Obviously, that's gone out the window a long time ago. Okay. But one was about your holes. Yeah. And how many you have. Right. And where they are, and I thought it was a bit invasive. Mm. Your man, you know, you, you, you know, you're fiercely private man. Yeah. You don't want to be talking about your holes. So the other one was the book, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you chose chose the book. <laughs> uh, but again, you know, it's because I. But I'm I'm your. You ask anything you want. I'm an I'm an open book mm-hmm. as much as I am an open hole. <laughs> All right. Let's focus on the book. Yeah. Let's set the holes to one side for the time being. Uh, has Scott Lang's memoir in this made you think now it is time to put down the Paul Rudd story because your story over the last 30 years I would say is a story of Hollywood in so many ways mm. so um, I've not thought about it no okay. this didn't make me think about it anymore I've been reading some autobiographies lately some memoirs mm-hmm. uh, I find them I really like reading them mm-hmm. um, such as uh, well uh, the last one that I, the one that I just finished was Paul Newman's that he had just written about himself, which was, which was a really great read. I'm now reading Jan Wenner. Oh, he's talking about the, the Rolling, Rolling Stone. Stone. Yeah. yeah. I read the Mel Brooks one. So I, 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 I like reading them. I like reading about people and their lives. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think no, that I would write no, one about no. myself. No. I mean, I down the road, if more interesting things happen to me, I think there are things in there that I could talk about for sure. Things yeah. that I've never said or revealed or anything that I'm, you know, maybe I'm saving them for a, a memoir. Do you keep a journal? No, I don't. I did for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm impressed when people say they have journals and they keep journals. <laughs> Where do they find the time? Where do they? Do? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't even return a text. <laughs> you need to fire up the computer, the dial-up. Yeah, you that's just it. That's going. exactly yeah. right. That's your problem. It just takes too long. Well, <laughs> I run all of my texts uh, on Steam. <laughs> you go down to Western Union and have someone tap it out. It's, a, it's exactly right. I still, uh, I still don't get all the dashes down. Every By the time somebody gets it, it's all misspelled and garbled. I got to figure out, is it dot, dot, dash? Is it dot, dash, dot? Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. I don't yeah, speak Morse code. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Yeah. It's one of those things. Fair enough. Fair enough. You don't keep you don't keep a journal. But um, if you are to carry on a Scott Lang mm. into Kang Dynasty, Secret Wars Beyond, uh, it'll be over a decade now with this character. Yeah. So you know, obviously, there were there was a speed bump, shall we say, at the beginning of this of this character for you when when Edgar left right. the project. Uh, you know. At that point, I'm guessing there was a point that maybe you could have walked yourself if you if you had wanted to, but you chose to cling on. You chose to hang on with the character, and obviously, write that first movie your, yourself. Adam came in and and did some stuff also. What was that like for you? What made you want to commit to the character? And I realize this is dangerously close to an actual question. Uh, wow! <laughs> so close to the end. You're getting real, dude. You're <laughs> getting end, real, dude. real. I know. I know. Um, I don't know what came over. I know. Me. I'm so sorry. I had, uh, yeah, I had signed on to do it. Um, it was, you know, when Edgar left, it, we were pretty far along. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that was kind of the eleventh hour. Um, 
And I remember just talking, having conversations with Marvel and um, a, about what to be done. And um, and it kind of, you know, it went the way it went. Uh, and, you know, my I was always, always sensitive to, uh, about Ed, Edgar and Edgar's vision. And it was Edgar. There, I wouldn't be here without Edgar. Yeah. And I signed on because of Edgar. I mean, Edgar was my friend and is my friend. And I still talk to Edgar. Um, and you know it so it was it was just i think uh uh i was excited about the project and the inter- still interested in doing something new i you know the whole thing about coming on with adam was really more of uh that was i was not anticipating that that was kind of surprising we had a take on it marvel seemed to be interested in it uh enough that we they hired us to do it and um and we also were kind of like close to filming. We already knew we were going to be doing it at a certain date. So mm. that's how it all kind of, un, you know, un, un, uh, unfurled. 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 Yeah. 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 And then with that, um, and the Wasp, you obviously carried on. and Yeah. Unfolded yeah. Screenplay I mean, that, that was uh, after we did the first one, there was an idea for a second one. Adam and I talked a lot about what that might look like, what it could be. Um, and we went through different incarnations of that and then, you know, really sat down and hammered it out. Um, uh, and with Chris and Eric and it was, so there was, you know, it was, it was cool actually. And an interesting, like, yeah, the whole experience different than what I ever would have guessed. I, you know, I, when I first stepped into this, I thought, okay, I'll do, it's going to be this Ant-Man movie, Mm -hmm. uh, that I was going to do with Edgar. And then here we are. So I had no, all of a sudden now it was like two films and um, was a writer on them. And so it was very exciting, but it was so much different than I would have guessed. And it's, and now here we are talking about the third one. It's been an incredible ride. I mean, this is like you say, almost going on a decade and uh, it's, it's wild. It's wild. And uh, one of my favorite things about Scott Lang uh, throughout the MCU has been the way he just loses his shit over Captain America. Was that was that something was that a, was that a Paul Rudd innovation or was that uh, yeah in, I think it was, uh, yeah yeah I think so because uh, um it wasn't really much acting required there <laughs> I think that you know that we were shooting um, Civil War and it was the first time we'd already filmed the Ant Man movie but uh, you know I hadn't seen any of the other Avengers except for Mackie we because yeah. we wrote in that scene for it's yeah. like he fights Falcon. Um, but so here was the kind of the first time that uh, I got to be around all of the other Avengers. And as I had seen the Avengers movie and I had seen Captain America's uh, movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think that it was just seemed like, oh, yeah, this is a guy who would be kind of impressed or not really know what to say and playing into the nervousness of all of that. And that so that just kind of happened. And I, and I do think it did become a bit of a. A running joke still even now um and there's also just something funny about him referring to him just as as cap uh (laughs) like he's just a a friend now well i i say thank you for thanking of me uh yeah a lot yeah a lot (laughs) yeah thanks but yeah well that's good yeah (laughs) thanks for thanking of me indeed and uh (laughs) and, and paul this 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 became an interview towards the end and i i i can only apologize 
Look, I can only apologize. I mean, it's probably the least interesting bit. Um, <laughs> certainly to Craig and Charlie I'll, Reed. I'll put fart noises in it every every five seconds. Everything is in, everything. Everything, everything is in, is enhanced <laughs> with fart noises. <laughs> On that note, have I earned a thimbleful of water? You tell me. Hold on. Absolute pleasure. Let me pour you one. Thank you so much. (laughs) Cheers, man. Thank Thank you. you. Okay, so that was Paul Rudd, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. On that note, that is it. Join us next week for more film-related fun, when hopefully we won't have computer glitches, uh, or I won't have to run off halfway through to do an interview. And we will be joined by... Lily James and Shazad Latif, stars of What's Love Got to Do With It. Until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Ben Travis. Goodbye. James Dyer. See you next time. <laughs> that intake of breath scares me every time. What's he going to say? Yeah. What's he going to do? What's going to come out of What's he going to plug? Yeah, no, I wasn't going to mention the fact that Vincent Cassel oh, is God. on the podcast this week. Which is, uh, which is very exciting. Did you ask him about playing Athos? Uh, well, I can neither confirm nor deny, Helen, mainly because I didn't do the interview, but uh, he is talking about Liaison, which is Apple's latest show, which demonstrates that they have all the money in the universe to throw at episodes of television. Now, as do. long as they hurry up with Foundation Season 2 and 4, or yeah, Mankind hurry Season up. 4. Right. And, uh, Pick up Lee Pace, is what hey. I say. Hey, very good. It's <laughs> goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's I'm off to pick up Lee Pace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kidding. <laughs> you um, wish. And it's goodbye for me. I'd say that I'm off to count my holes, but really what I'm off to do is record the first two bits of this podcast. Time moves in a strange way in the quantum pod realm. So I'm going to say on that. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.